In a world filled with sharks, bears, and killer bees, one man is brave enough to stay indoors to bring you the latest in gaming, movie, and pop culture news. That man is Tom Awesome, and this is the Outside is Overrated podcast. Hello and welcome to Outside is Overrated. I'm your host, Tom Sedlachik, and today we say goodbye to some good friends, the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One. We have new hardware to play with, and it's time to say goodbye to a generation of consoles. At the end of the show, we're going to chat with Sam Charching, who worked for both Microsoft and Sony for over 10 years, including the launch of the Xbox 360, so that'll be a lot of fun. Joining me for the discussion today are Hobbybox, Joe Burns. Heyo! And Casey Aline. Welcome back to the show, guys. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Burnsy, it feels like forever. When was the last time you were on a show with me? Uh, well, unfiltered last month. Yeah, well, we do that every <laughs> month. That doesn't count. Uh, yeah, it has been a few months. Uh, it was uh, summer sometime. I don't remember what we talked about. So It was yeah. no doubt a dynamite show. Yeah, it was great. You should go back and look for it. If I could tell you what it was, uh, that would probably help but I, I don't remember. Yeah, it's kind of startling <laughs> that neither one of us can remember it off the top of our heads. What have you been doing uh, in the last couple months? Playing lots of video games. Uh, I started streaming in August. Yeah, so I don't think I've done a podcast since like, I started doing Twitch streaming. So I've been doing Twitch streaming, mostly playing older RPGs, uh, which has been a lot of fun. And uh, it's been interesting kind of like finding community on there with other people, other streamers. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a whole different world. The games I've played on stream, I have played the original Sui Koden. I have played uh, Final Fantasy VI, Chrono Trigger, uh, Dragon Quest One, and Dragon Quest Two, the remakes that are on the Switch. And then now I am playing Yakuza Like a Dragon. And then I've also played a little bit of Star Wars Squadrons and uh, Demon Souls on the PS5. And I got my PS5, which is also awesome. Uh, but we won't talk about this here because this is all about last gen. It sure is. And a new entry to the last-gen consoles. Casey, you were, have been out of the console game for a long time. <clears throat> First off, when was the last time you were on this show? Was it Castlevania? Yes. Yeah, that sounds right. So it's Castlevania, and then before that was, I actually think that might have been the last time Joey was on the yeah, show was. when we were talking. Uh, uh, Stonemeyer Games. Stonemeyer Games, yeah, exactly. Yep. That's right. Well, welcome back. What have you been up to, Casey? Mainly chasing my kids around to hockey and stuff, which is sadly coming to an end, thanks to this wonderful COVID disease. Um, other than that, like gaming wise, I'm um, still playing the same old phone games and stuff that I played. I've tapped into more Xbox lately too, though, which uh, we're going to get into some of the games that I've been playing uh, a little bit later. But uh, like you said, finally finally getting into the old gen as the new gen is, is finally releasing. So It's better uh, late than never, dude. We're both deer hunters. How'd the hunting season go for you? Uh, not great, although my oldest son did end up getting a, a deer during the youth uh, season. But nice. so far, I've only been able to hunt uh, hunted the opening weekend with my my middle child. We saw some stuff, but never had a, a decent shot. I'm hoping to maybe uh, go for an evening or afternoon this weekend. So hopefully, hopefully things will turn around and I'll get something this weekend. I should point out we are recording on November 19th for the December episode. We are also, we're moving online for the foreseeable future. The state of Minnesota just, it's not a lockdown, but it's a stay-at-home advisory or... 
something. You're not supposed to mingle with people outside of your household. I have a pregnant wife, so we're taking that pretty serious. It means no family Thanksgivings for us, which sucks. Sucks so hard. So, yep, big time. You know, wherever you are, we hope you're staying safe and that this disease hasn't had much of an effect on your life. But that's too heavy a topic for us, so let's talk about some video games. Yeah. Yeah. Before we get started, we would like to thank our sponsor, Premier Health. Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. That's premierhealthmn.com. If you like our wonderful personalities, you can follow us on social. Email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. That is overratedpod at gmail.com. You can follow me on the socials at Tom Sidlachik OIO on Twitter and Instagram. And on Twitter, you can follow Joey at HobbyBoxBurns and Casey at Dr. Underscore Casey. You can also follow the show at Facebook.com slash Outside is Overrated. And the doctor is Dr. Underscore Casey, just to, just to help out. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, so you can get the OIO boost. I'm, I mean... It's zero, but at least we got the tag right. Thanks, Barry. Well, and remember when you used to make fun of me, Tom, for never updating my Twitter? I actually use Twitter now, so. Oh, that's awesome. Good. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. 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 The <laughs> The last few games have been an awesome time to be a gamer. Video games have never looked better. Some of the most popular games in the world are free, and there are immersive experiences in every genre for every taste. With the sheer number of outstanding titles available this generation, it is literally impossible to play everything we wanted to. Let's start by taking some time to talk about the games we missed out on this generation. I'm going to start. There's a big blockbuster that I was super excited for. Never got around to Assassin's Creed Odyssey. On all accounts, it's a very fun game. It's an awesome setting. And, uh, you know, I bought it. I just never fired up because it's too long. I haven't. I own so many Assassin's Creed games. I haven't played one since AC2. Oh, wow. And I I, I, before that, I'd only played AC1. So, yeah, I never actually played two. Two is so much better than one. Another one we have on our list, Casey, you brought this up. I kind of modified it, but the Witcher series, The Witcher 3, uh, Wild Hunt came out this console generation. It is arguably the best game of all time. I haven't played it. You haven't played it. Joey, you don't like open world games, so maybe your opinion doesn't count here. Oh, no, no, actually, um, so The Witcher 3, I played the first 20 some hours of it. I really like The Witcher 3, actually. I, I can't remember why I stopped playing it this last time. Something came out or that was around when I moved. I don't know. It's just I have a hard time keeping with open world games, but that's like the one that's like probably the major one that I really want to go back and finish and play uh, at some point uh, in the near future, hopefully. Well, we're doing a Witcher show in 2021, so that's a good opportunity. Casey, That's true. Casey, what is it that intrigues you about the Witcher series? Well, I actually really like open world concept games, so that's one thing that I, I really wanted to, to get into. And then uh, I mean, we'll get into some of the other games I want wanted to play too uh, that are open world games. But besides that, um, I watched the show last year or whatever when it came out, so that kind of was actually my main introduction to to, to The Witcher, and uh, I, I like that. And yeah, just hearing so many good things about the series, so it's just a game that I feel like, like you said, might be one of the best games ever. I haven't played it. I enjoy video games. I should probably play it. (laughs) Yeah. We should all check it out. I've been slogging through the first one a little bit this year. The first one was a decent game. It was fun enough, but man, it, uh, it's got some design choices that just make it a little rough around the edges to play now. 
The second one, they made the leap to consoles. It started as a PC game, and then they adapted it for the Xbox 360. So, you know, I I love the main character. I love Geralt of Rivia, but I don't know if I'm going to complete these old games or if I'm just going to eventually move on to Wild Hunt. I mean, like, and well, and really, you have, what, three and a half weeks until Cyberpunk comes out. So you might as well just jump into Witcher, take off the rest of the time at work, play that the entire time you'll get through that and the expansions and be ready to play cyberpunk when it comes out you might not have a job after that but but <laughs> worth it right like <laughs> worth it worth it <laughs> sticking with an open world joey you never got around to playing breath of the wild this console generation not like me i put a good 10 hours into that game yeah i put about five hours in and and i really wish i i, I so the secret that I wanted to roll out on you, but it never came to fruition was I wanted to actually try to play it and beat it before this podcast. And I started (laughs) playing it again and it just, I just, I just couldn't get into it. Like, and so the main reason I want to play it is because everybody raves about it and I want to play it so that I can finish it and say, it's not that good. (laughs) And maybe that's not a good reason to want to play something. But uh, I, I just I get open world paralysis and the weapon deg- degradation in the game just makes it so difficult so early on to stay interested where it's like, OK, I got this nice little sword up. Oh, this sword broke. Looks like I'm back to using a f- tree branch for a while. And then, oh, look, I found this club. This club is kicking things. F- oh, that f- broke back to a tree branch. And it's just it just <laughs> like let the things last a little bit longer so you get at least some satisfaction out of it before you just like you know on me again it is pretty challenging early on like only three hearts and all your weapons break like i totally get that i struggled with the same thing i also wanted to try to beat it before this podcast and then i realized (laughs) i have like 50 games on the ps4 that (laughs) i might want to discuss and so i got about 10 hours into it and then i started messing around with other stuff i got paper mario and the origami king on the switch and that was it for breath of the wild for me fun game yeah Eh, it's okay (laughs) (laughs) my kids have played it and uh i think caden got pretty far into it but um chase i think was like you joey where he got really frustrated early on and just gave up after probably an hour into it hour two into it I'm freezing to death. This sucks. And never go back to it. <laughs> Eat some peppers, you <laughs> and go back in there. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know there's lots of people that listen to this that love Zelda. I mean, you did a podcast episode with a bunch of them. And I get that people like Zelda. I just, I really think, and I'm going to get tons of hate for this. I really think if this game didn't have Zelda on it, and it had a paper-thin lead character, not much of a story, and all of this frustrating to it it would not have gotten the adoration that it got i could be a thousand percent wrong but that's my hot take for today uh, i might have to play it so i could be the tiebreaker that could be it all right it's on i was really intrigued by vr this console generation especially the playstation vr never got around to trying it the cost is still a little prohibitive to me and until the quest came out without cables like i i just the thought of wearing the headset with cables is absolutely unappealing to me. Like I like playing on my big TV video games are fine as they are. So like I'd love to play squadrons in VR, but I don't know, maybe the quest two will be where I finally jump into VR, but it's something I missed this generation. 
Yeah, I mean, VR is good. It's it's still not the type of thing where I would tell someone you need to buy it and get into it now. I think the Quest 2 is really moving in that direction. It's getting close to that. But it's more so something if, if you're really interested in it, maybe take the leap. But it's not something that I think is a must-have yet at this point. Getting closer, though. Getting closer. Casey, you were intrigued by Slay the Spire, Chargian's Darling. Yeah, that's that's the first word, first spot I heard it from was from Charch. I get a lot of my recommendations and board games and video games from him. Um, and yeah, it just sounds like a really really fun game, fun concept. Uh, I'm a fan of deck building games. Um, the genre it just appeals to me a lot. So um, sounds like something that I would really enjoy. Heard a lot of people play it and really like it. So not sure why I didn't didn't get into it, but. Um, I definitely plan to at some point in time. Yeah, it's on Game Pass. Jump on that. It It's a really fun game. I, Charge called it his game of the year for last year. That's a little hyperbolic for me. <laughs> it's it's fine. It's fun. But, you know, there are other better games last year, in my opinion. Birdsy, why'd you never get into it? I never saw it on sale on PlayStation. So that's the main reason why. I, I, I tend to only buy games when they're on sale. Uh, in order to try to keep myself held back. Not that that really matters because most games go on sale. But uh, like when I went through the process of dialoguing or, or documenting all of the games that I played last generation and then all the games I didn't play, yeah, I have a lot that I need to play before I start buying too many other things willy-nilly. So, so yeah, that's why. One game you did buy last year, and I don't think you bought it on sale. I think you got it right at launch. Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Yeah, it came out. It came out on my birthday or right around my birthday last year. And so I was super pumped uh, to play it. And I played the first little bit of it, but I, I liked it too. I mean, I really did. I really did like the combat in it. I played two hours. That's that's all I got into it. I was really interested in the story, but I knew that it was one of those things where I couldn't jump back and forth with other games. And at that point, I had just gotten Death Stranding and I was also playing The Outer Worlds. And so there was these other games that I'd already started investing time into that I wanted to finish first. So I was like, okay, once I finish these, I'm going to go back to that. And then I finished The Outer Worlds. I didn't finish Death Stranding before I started lending it to other people and then just never made it back to Star Wars. So uh, I do want to get back to that at some point too because I hear it's a really good story uh, and, and lots of just really good combat. So hopefully sometime. I made it about a third of the way into the game. Like, it melds two things I absolutely love in Dark Souls and Star Wars, and it I really enjoyed it. I thought the narrative was really strong, and boy, that was a great game, and I'm bummed that I fell off it because I have to prep for OIO every month, so I, mm-hmm. I can't stick with anything too long unless I can get through it in, like, 10 hours. Could our nickname for it be Star Souls? Yes. I like that. Also, let's get tattoos that say Star Souls. That'll be our nicknames for each other, too. Get force, dude. Get force instead of get good. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) One game that I always expected to play this generation, and I was planning on playing it leading up to the sequel coming out, but I never got around to The Last of Us, which I know is technically a PS3 game. I owned it on PS3. I have it remastered on PS4. And uh, it's supposed to be one of the best narratives of the generation or of the last two console generations. And uh, I just never really made time for it. I I played a couple of hours before the sequel came out and it looked pretty, but I just, the gameplay did not grab me at all. 
Yeah. Well, so my history with it was I did have it on PS3 and it kept shutting off my launch PlayStation 3 uh, after playing it for 10 minutes. And so I bought a new PS3 for it because uh, I got it on like Super Sale and didn't get back to it. Got the PS4 uh, a couple years ago, bought the PS4 version. And this summer leading up to uh, part two coming out, I started trying to play it and I just wasn't feeling it. I, I couldn't get back into it. And so I, maybe maybe I just hate, Burns hates good games. That Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't get into it. It sounds like you're making a compelling case for Burns hating good games. That's true. Hey, does Burns really dislike this game? It's probably 10 out of 10, the best thing ever. <laughs> wow. I really have to try The Quiet Man. <laughs> no, no, that one you can trust me on. That one you can trust me on. Burnsy, you're also intrigued by The Outer Wilds. What made this game interesting to you? So, I mean, The Outer Wilds, like from just the story of the development of it. So it was a student project to start with, and then they just kept working on it for a few years. And the, the interesting thing of it is it has a really cool gameplay loop where you're doing something and then you you do something and end up dying and then restart and go back through. And it's like you're learning more about the world and more about the mechanics as you go through it. Uh, and then like what's happening and what you have to do to try to solve it. I, and it's just, it's from the way it sounds is it, it's that you're like sort of naturally unlocking this stuff as you go through the gameplay, which just seems really intriguing. The reason why I haven't stuck with it is it seems like the type of thing where once you start it, you got to stick with it. And I tend to have a problem with games like that. And so I just never got to that point where I was like, Oh, I have like three weeks where I can just play the outer wilds every night. Uh, I had never got to that point. So hopefully sometime, <laughs> yeah, let's just put that on replay. Hopefully sometime soon <laughs> I get to it, but I doubt that's going to happen. I could say that about almost every game ever made. <laughs> Bernsey, it sounds like you like complex narratives where you have to peel apart different things and like the whole picture isn't open from the start and you really have a hard time getting into games where it's just like, use your sword, go and do some stuff. Uh, it depends though. Like sometimes if, if it's in a universe that I really enjoy, I can get into that. I, I don't know. Like it's weird because there's certain games that are open world esque that I really do like, but then there's ones that are like larger open worlds that I just bounce off of kind of like red dead redemption, which I think is one of them that you guys are going to talk about next. Like I just, I think part of that is that I don't really get into the cowboy aesthetic. I like the original red dead redemption much more than the red dead redemption two from playing it. Uh, just because it felt like there was so much, like there was so much put into the fact that you're playing as this cowboy. And so it takes you a long ass time to get from point A to point B. And there's some charm in that, but then there's not, I don't know. I just, I just couldn't get into it, even though I kind of liked the main character and was interested in where the story was going. It just, I bounced off of it. It was fine. You know, there's our confirmation. Burns hates good games. <laughs> <laughs> Casey, you missed out on red dead this generation. What intrigued you about the arguably one of the tentpole games of the entire generation? Um, I mean, again, I just heard a lot of really good things about it. <laughs> I'm the opposite of Joey, I guess. And again, where I like the open world concept and I like the Western theme. So <laughs> suck it, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> That's, um, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, it, yeah, I mean, it's again, it's one where I've now that I'm starting to play some of these these games and get into the 
last gen before the new gen comes out. I'm definitely planning on playing it again. So, or uh, again, I'm planning on playing it. But uh, yeah, it's just just never got around to it. Man, it is so good. And being that you love open worlds and you like cowboys, like, oh, we'll get into it more a little bit later. But arguably the most immersive game I played in, in this console generation. Cool. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I hate you so much, Burns. Get off my show. Get off my show and get out of my lawn. That was me making the noise like I I disconnected. But oh. you you ruined you ruined the joke, Tom. Yeah, I'm really good. Or at it just that. wasn't a good joke. Yeah, or that. Yeah. Let's <laughs> try that. Yeah, I'm good at not good jokes too. Well, it's an awesome time to be a gamer. Like we just talked about some really amazing games that we just didn't make time for this console generation. So like, I mean, if we had played nothing but this list of games, I'd say this console generation is still a win. Except for oh, the Outer yeah. Wilds. What a terrible choice. <laughs> <laughs> it was like in the top, it was in the running for game of the year last year at a lot of places. So yeah, you know, just cause you don't know about it, Tom, doesn't mean you, Oh, I'm going to take a dump on it. Cause I'm Tom. I'm awesome. Hey, I have it on my Xbox series X. Like it's a part of game pass. I'm closer to playing that game than you are. I'll go fire it up right now. Just to spite you burns. I have it on my PS4 right here. I could turn it on right now and start well, yeah. playing. Well, I'm going to download it on Game Pass on PC, and I'm going to play it while we're doing the rest of this show. All right. I'm going to turn it on right now. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here and look at you guys while you do that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have it on anything. <laughs> uh, you got Game Pass. You can get it. Oh, uh, true, true, true. <clears throat> Speaking of Game Pass... Our next segment is Game Pass Forever, and we are excited to have Casey join me regularly on this segment. He has Game Pass. We've been playing some stuff together, so uh, welcome, Casey. It's going to be fun to record this every month with you. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, it's going to force me to hopefully play some of the games that I have not in the past or try some new ones that, uh, that the, the listeners want to see us play, so should be fun. For December's Game Pass Forever game, I chose Doom Eternal. I didn't give Patreons a chance to vote on this because it was on the list of games I wanted to try to play to prepare for this show as arguably one of the best games of the console generation. When is the last time either of you played a Doom game? Casey, was it 1994? I'm pretty sure it was. I'm trying to think. I was definitely in my friend Matt's basement on his computer, and we were playing Doom, and I, I couldn't remember the year exactly, but I'm pretty sure it was... Right around 1994, and it was the very first Doom that came out. Was that the same Matt that swum home from the Boundary Waters? That is the same Matt, yes. One and the same. <laughs> that must have been quite an adventure. Bernsey, have you played any of the Doom games? Yeah, I mean, so I've played, I just played the original Doom, the original, original Doom on the PS4 in October. Uh, I have it on there. Every now and again, I just jump back in because it's a really fun game to just jump into and shoot shit like you don't have to think about anything else um and i have played the the 2016 doom i have that on ps4 i played the first couple levels of that yeah i played um, maybe two hours of that that was also on the list and i just didn't get as much time for it as i wanted but uh if you've dabbled with that you have a feel for doom eternal it's a really remarkable shooter the thing that i thought was interesting i mean the premise is you're ripping through zombies you're shooting zombies you're going through different boards the previous games took place on mars and in hell this one starts on earth and i don't really know where it goes because i didn't get super far into it but it is it's awesome but there's a lot more platforming than i expected like i expected to just run around levels and shoot dudes but no like you got a double jump and 
and sprint and like it's a lot more like platforming puzzly than I would have ever anticipated the Doom game would be. Yeah, that was one of the evolutions they did with Doom Eternal from, I think, the Doom remake was they did put a lot more emphasis on that movement. Well, because Doom 2016 was a lot about constantly moving. And so Eternal now is about moving in lots of ways that you didn't move before, kind of, right? Yeah, and some of the environmental puzzles were really tricky. And then, like, you solve it, and before there's a checkpoint, like, you're in a hard-ass fight. So, like, uh-huh. there's this one brutal one where you kind of have to jump from these dissolving platforms up and around and end up on this pillar, and then these two big cockademons, like, show up, and they... I almost had to turn the difficulty down to get past that point. And I am a hardcore, do-not-play-on-easy kind of gamer. Like, Hurt Me Plenty <laughs> lives up to its name. I mean, sometimes sometimes you just got to do what you got to do, though, Tom. Yeah, and play another amazing game. <laughs> that, I mean, that's true. That is true. Some of the things I really liked about Doom Eternal, there was a really interesting upgrade system. It was complicated. There were a bunch of pieces to it. There were drones scattered across the levels, and those drones would have weapon mods. So you start out with, like, a shotgun, and then you'll get a weapon mod that'll give you, like, a grenade launcher on it. There were battle points that you earn that allow you to upgrade your mods. So you take your rocket launcher from level one to level two. Uh, there are these shard thingies. There's one on your ship, and uh, those unlock other upgrades. So it's like three different ways you're upgrading your weapons. So kind of a lot to digest and surprisingly difficult to describe when you've had a month to prepare for how you're going to talk about it. Yeah, well, then it's all about glory kills, right? You do the glory kills to get extra ammo and, and uh, armor and stuff like that. Yep, you wear down, wear down the demon's health, and then they start glowing, and you can do a melee attack on them, and that'll spit out a whole bunch of health. If you use your chainsaw, which you have very limited gas for, you can chainsaw an enemy, and that'll drop um, ammo for each of the different weapon types. It was fast and frenetic, and each fight felt like a puzzle because there'd be, like, different enemy types, and you had to get a feel for where you're going in the environment because some of the environments are really dangerous. You needed to uh, uh, factor in the different types of enemies that are in. So, like, if a knight pops in, you need to have a whole bunch of ammo because he's got this thick, crusty shell around him. If there's the cockademons, you have to shoot a bomb into their mouth or they're going to tear you up. I swear to God, they're called cockademons. C-A-C-A-D. <laughs> I think it's Kako. Kako. Oh, wow. You could call them whatever you want to call them. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, like I like Cockademon. Yeah, we're back yeah, to old Alan finish. Turddick again. <laughs> Alan Turddick. That was a good one. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that I started my own podcast when I don't know how to say words. Yeah, I mean it happens. Uh, there weren't a ton of enemy types in Doom, Doom Eternal, but I thought there was enough, and they were interesting enough to keep it fresh and interesting through the bit that I played. I didn't get far enough to know if the story was any good. I made it to, I think, the third board because Hurt Me Plenty was living up to its name. Like, I had to fight mm-hmm. tooth and nail to get to that far, and I had, like, a couple-week layoff as I, I went from playing Doom Eternal to playing a bunch of stuff to get ready for this show, and then I jumped back in uh, a couple nights ago, and oh, my God. It's like <laughs> just getting my head wrapped around the controls again was painstaking. But playing it on the Xbox Series X, load times, the difference in load times is no joke. Like, it was probably a minute something to load in on the Xbox One with the Series X. It is just moments. So that made it a lot more forgiving. Like, yeah, this tough environmental puzzle and this dude kicks your ass and you have to start the whole thing over again. It was a lot easier to tolerate when I could jump right back into the game on the Series X. 
did you notice a lot of graphical like upgrades with it on the Series X then or not really? Have they not done a whole lot to polish that up yet? I didn't notice anything. I mean, it looked gorgeous on the Xbox One. Like, I probably undersold the visuals on this game. Like, it is one of the more stunning games I have played. Like, it's I'm not a huge shooter fan, but this has got to be at like the top of the list for shooters because this is a really remarkable game. It's got a very metal soundtrack. I know my friend Brian was super into that. I mean, I don't pay a lot of attention to soundtracks when I'm playing games, so I know some people really regard the soundtrack highly. Yeah, games are fun. It looks like next month, for Casey's first big adventure in Game Pass Forever, we get to play the original Halo together. We're not... We're not going to play a game from the current console generation. We're not playing a game from the console generation that we're talking about on this show. We're not playing a game from the console generation before that. We're playing one from the original Xbox. Hooray. I'm super pumped. (laughs) I mean, it could be a lot worse. Like, I drew Riverbond for one month, for Christ's sakes. Yeah, no, I just was looking at that list, and it's funny that you're like, oh, the only one I don't want to really play is... Halo. <laughs> and you're like, well, it's good, because that's the one we're playing. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> well, and it's it's not that it's not I know it's gonna be a good game. Obviously, a, a lot of good games were built off of this game. And uh um there's just so many other games <laughs> I would rather get into right now than go back and play the original Halo. Yeah, but was, it is what it is, and I'm sure I'll still enjoy it. So I was really hoping that Gears would carry the day. I've been looking for an excuse to go back and play the old Gears games, especially after we dabbled with Gears Five to get ready for this show. Um, but, you know, Halo carried the day. Each month, we're going to let our Patreons vote on a slate of games, so if you're interested in dictating what we play for this segment every month, back us on Patreon. We want to thank all of our supporters on Patreon. If you are interested in supporting the show, you can support us for as little as $2 a month. Check it out at patreon.com slash OIO. That's Patreon, spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N, dot com slash OIO. I didn't just drop my microphone. You guys are fine. Nobody saw anything. <laughs> Audio podcast. I'm cutting all that. I saw it. <laughs> if you enjoy the show, if you especially enjoy Tom and Joey on Outside is Overrated, we do a special podcast just for $10 Patreon supporters. And you guys both do that. Thank you both for your support. Yeah, no problem. I, I always like to listen to myself talk. Uh, and so that's that was it was a shoe in for that then. And then that's going to be where we're going to talk a lot about the next gen consoles and our initial impressions. So if you want to hear what we think about that, yes, that is definitely worth the $2. That's $2 a month for that, right? Or is that $10 no, that you have to get that? $10 a month for Tom and Joey unfiltered. Gotcha. This one's going to be $2 though, right? This one is free. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I, I, I know what's going on. Yeah. Well, you uh, put in your credit card number months ago. It's fine. So quick, <laughs> quick question before we move on, Tom, what was your favorite game pass forever game that you played this year? My favorite game pass forever game that I played this year. I'll tell you the most surprising one was Riverbond because Riverbond was a really good game. Yeah. I think my uh, favorite one was Gears Tactics. Oh, really? Yeah, I love tactic-style games. I'm a big fan of the Gears games, so this was a mashup that really worked for me. I played it on PC. I am really excited to experience that game on my Series X because the load times were pretty hefty, even on my PC with an SSD. So I'm interested to see how it transitions to console and just, you know, how fun it is. 
Cool. Yeah, I, I, Game Pass is interesting. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about it on one of these podcasts at some point and get into the the the, the uh, discussion that I want to about Game Pass and how I'm not necessarily sure it's great for uh, the industry, but it is really good. It's a good deal right now, that's for sure. Why is it bad for the industry? Well, I, I think we should talk about it. We're, we're going to lay that little nugget, and uh, we'll talk about it at some point. Maybe we'll talk about it on Unfiltered. Well, it's a great hook. I mean, I'm intrigued. <laughs> you got well, my attention. Well, see, there you go. And hey, and at least all of us will be able to hear it. But if you want to hear it, you can sign up for that. But um, now, as you guys know, um, my main source of exercise is going out on walks. And since it's gotten colder and we've gotten snow and sleet and ice and all that crap that happens in the winters in Minnesota, it's treacherous, treacherous out there. And I slipped and tweaked my back the other day. Any recommendations on what can help me out? Yeah, you can get some of those like spikes that you slide on over your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> and if you need help dealing with the pain, you can check out Premier Health. They have solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accident, and icy work injuries, and more. We suggest seeing Dr. Camille in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. That's PremierHealthMN.com. There are a lot of games that we missed out on this console generation, but there are also a lot of games that we played, and not every one of them was a peach. Let's spend some time talking about the games that fell short of our expectations. Where do we spend our time that we wish that we could have back? I'm going to start this one off, Fallout 4. There are precious few games that I beat on this console generation on the PlayStation 4. Fallout 4 was one of them, and it was fine, but like I wish I would have put that time into Monster Hunter World, into Doom Eternal. Like There are so many other games that I wish I would have made more time for like I made time for Fallout. I think it benefited from being early in the console generation before there was quite so much competition. Uh, did either of you guys have any experience with Fallout? So I Fallout 4 was probably the most I've played a Fallout game. I played it for about 15, 20 hours and, and enjoyed it, but I had the same problem I always have with open world games and that I had with Fallout 3 also, where I just bounced off of it because it was wide open. I could go anywhere and then I get paralysis and do nothing. <laughs> yeah, it happens. <laughs> One of the things that I hated about it, um, it forced there were three factions in the game and it forced you to align with one of them and basically write off the other two forever and like, I'd spent a lot of time doing work for all three factions. Like I didn't want to destroy those relationships. I I did not enjoy making a choice, and I felt one that I, I made one that I felt I had to for narrative decisions. And I don't know, just Fallout Four didn't do so much for me. Burnsy, what was one of your worst experiences? Well, let's just start with the worst experience. And like I, I heard from a lot of people that the Quiet Man was bad. Then why and did you play it? Time well, is a so, finite resource, my friend. I've told you before, like full motion video video games are really intriguing to me. So that was one thing that hooked me. And part of it is sort of like, it can't be that bad. And at first, when I started playing it, it was one of those things where it was like, it's kind of, okay, this is bad. And it's like funny bad. But then you keep <laughs> playing it and it gets worse and worse and worse and the whole like thing about the story in this game, and that was air quotes for those of you that can't see me gesticulating right now. But the thing about the story in this game is that you can't hear any of the dialogue because the main character's deaf, so you can't hear it. Except for the fact when he fucking talks and you would know what he's saying, but you still can't hear that. And it's like, Ooh. 
And then they leave this little nugget when you beat the game. They're like, oh, play it through again and you can hear the dialogue. It's probably still not going to fucking make sense. It's still going to be a terrible game to play. It is hands down the worst game I've ever played. It is the worst game of the generation. It is gutter trash. Don't play it. So it's probably <laughs> awesome. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's probably fantastic. It is not. Trust me. Is it an open world, Burns? Do your weapons break down? It is not open world. You are on the railiest of rails in this game. You cannot stray from any path whatsoever. Casey, you love getting railed. (laughs) (laughs) Casey, you only have one game on this list. You, your worst experience was Civilization VI, a widely beloved game. How did this fall short of your expectations? I think I maybe just thought it was something that it wasn't. I don't know. Like I, I thought maybe it would be more like age of empires or something like that. A game in the past that I, that I liked, you know, this is more turn-based like it's, well, that's what it is a turn-based strategy game. And, um, you know, you're developing the civilization from, from nothing into hopefully this just giant world power. And I think where I struggle is there's, there is a tutorial, but there wasn't really like, it wasn't all that depth and like, never playing any of the other civilization games trying to learn from this one like i just couldn't get it like i don't know like i maybe i'm a a little bit too much of a warlord and i just kept trying to mess with all the (laughs) factions around me and like that got me in trouble and i kept running out of food and like i just (laughs) i and i just could not get the hang of it so i i I played it probably i don't know six times trying to get through and like each time i played it i bet i gave up after two hours into it because i'm like I don't know what the hell I'm doing. This is just super frustrating. And like, (laughs) I just, I need to go back and like read through a wiki or something like that to figure out what the hell to do. So I can actually hopefully enjoy this game. Like everybody else seems to. You played it on switch, right? Yes. Yeah. I tried it on switch too. I think the tutorial is the worst on switch because I got it free on the Epic game store on PC and I tried it on there and I was instantly hooked. Like I was very similar with you on the switch. I bounced it off bounced off it pretty quick i'm like well i'm glad i didn't pay a lot for this because not my thing but i liked it a lot more on pc good to know yeah also having a mouse is nice so there's that one thing you should try out on since you're going to have game pass now casey is halo wars because that's going to be a little bit more like age of empires i think maybe a little bit more action oriented so that might be something that would be a little bit more up your alley sure good good idea yeah we'll have to put that on the list for game pass forever Speaking of Game Pass Forever, I got to play Humans Fall Flat this year. That was easily my least favorite game that I have ever played. <laughs> ever. Ever. But Tom, they, they, they just released some new levels. <laughs> Not for me, they didn't. That game... I, I hated that game. Like Just puzzle-based exploration with wonky physics and... Uh, there's a certain aesthetic charm to it, but I just hated the gameplay so much. I just will not go back. I also played a bunch of phone games this year, and, like, phone games are fine. They're a way to pass the time, but, like, if I think about the time I spent on phone games versus the time I spent on my PS4, I wish I could have just transferred it and just played Red Dead for all those phone game hours. Casey, you play a lot of stuff on your phone. you have any thoughts on that line of thinking? Um yes and no i mean i i agree with you i i spend way too much time on, on the games on my phone versus some of the other games but like phone games are just it's 
easy for me. I don't play anything on my phone where I have to sit down and play it for like an hour or two in a row, you know, where that's where I struggle with some of these console games is that like, I know if I'm going to sit down, I'm going to be sitting down and I'm going to be playing this for at least an hour. And like, I struggle right now to find that time sometimes you yeah, know, to, you have, to get into that. You have three kids. That's hard. And like yeah. a lot of the time that I'm playing phone games, it's not time I could be in front of my PS five. So it's not like they're directly competing, but man, I put a lot of time on the stuff on my phone. Yeah. Burnsy, yeah I play it more like in the bathroom at work <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, like you get on and you, you do what you got to in galaxy heroes or, you know, it's just a real quick 15 minutes and I'm off and then I can, you know, go about my day and then hop back on again on my lunch break for another 15 minutes. So that's the, that's the sort of thing, you know, the time that I spend on the phone, but yeah, I don't, uh, I don't touch my phone in the bathroom. You're disgusting. <laughs> Really? That's that's like prime phone time. Come on. Nope. Like you don't touch. You, you don't wipe until after you put it away. I mean, yeah. You know, hands I'm in are there. clean. Just, just sanitize your phone every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Put it in the microwave for like thirty seconds. It'll take care of any of the germs on it. My, my friends are disgusting creatures. Bernsey, what else was disappointing for you this year? So I got really excited. So I'm a huge Final Fantasy fan, as we've discussed, and one of the games I never played. And because of the Final Fantasy card game, a lot of the characters that designs look interesting is Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. Uh, and so that was on GameCube, I believe. It's more multiplayer based. So I knew that was going to maybe be a little bit of a hurdle. Uh, but I picked that up when the remastered version of that came out on PS4. Uh, I think it's also out on Xbox. And it's a pretty shitty port. <laughs> it's just it's just clunkier than It doesn't really run very well. There's a ton of loading screens. And There's loading it, screens? Like, this technology is so much better. Like, that should all be seamless. What, what went wrong here? There's just loading screens all the time. Like you make a decision and then, okay, loading screen. You go to this really small area, move around a little bit, then leave it, loading screen. Go to the map, loading screen. Go to a town, loading screen. Go in a building, loading screen. It's just like, it was just like constantly in the middle of trying to do different things. Um, and so it that was bad. And and the gameplay, it said that you could play it solo, but it's, it's just, it's so cumbersome to play it by yourself. And it's just not that interesting. Like it's kind of hack and slash combat, but then you have this like thing that you got to carry around with you all the time. And you have a robot that can carry it sometimes, but then other times it's like, you have to carry it. So you're just constantly throwing this thing down and slashing at things, picking it. It's just, it's just, yeah, I, I didn't make sense of it. I'm going to stop you right there, Bernsey. I've played Divinity Original Sin with you, and you would take like this hay bale and you would throw it forward a little bit, then you'd walk to the other side of it and you'd pick it up and you'd throw it again. So like that sounds very Burns friendly. I thought it was going to be important. I mean, they were there for a reason. They had to have been there for a reason. Uh, but I stopped. They're, they're still in that pile in that one town uh, where we decided <laughs> to leave them there. You convinced me not to, to stop throwing them around. I uh, used to run a D&D campaign for my friends in high school, and uh, at one point I sort of stepped up my dungeon game, and I started rolling things randomly out of the Dungeon Master's Guide, so suddenly there's just all this, like, worthless, trivial crap in the dungeon, and the first time they encountered it, they're like, oh, Tom would never put this in here if we didn't need it. So, like, they're carrying random railroad spikes and just all this random wacky stuff I just rolled up, and, like, I'm trying not to giggle. (laughs) I was an awesome DM. Awesome. I played some octopus. 
<laughs> Keep telling yourself that. I will. And I'll tell my friends, too. I played Octopath Traveler this year. This game wasn't bad, but uh, I expected it to be like a JRPG revolution, and it was just fine. Like, it was... I didn't actively dislike it, but it, I didn't particularly like it either. And, like, I don't know. I felt like... I felt it was important to bring it up because it just failed to meet my expectations. Yeah, it has good music, and the characters are all interesting, and the ideas they have, I think, are pretty cool, but then you start to see that some of the things overlap with the other characters, so you think that they're all, like, completely unique, but then it's like, oh, well, two of their talents are, you know, two or a few of them, their talents, like, overlap a little bit, so it's More like, than a little bit. There's essentially four characters with two skins each. That, 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 so, so that's the problem with it, I think. And it gets super grindy, like to get through all of the story stuff, it, it, you have to grind at times and it just takes a, it's a slog to get from point A to point B after you get to a certain point in the game. Yeah. And that's unfortunate because like it could have been a good experience in itself if it just flowed seamlessly, but they put in some barriers to progress and like it just, I don't know, kind of a bummer. I was really excited for that game. The last one I wanted to mention, I played an entire season of NBA 2K, must have been about 16. Like, I created okay. a character. I won a championship with the Cleveland Cavaliers the year after LeBron left. I was that good. Were you Kevin Love? <laughs> uh, practically. I was a white wing that shot a lot of threes. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, that was early on. Like, that was, <laughs> I think, the second game I got for my PS4. So, like... You know, a large part of my time going into it was that it was one of the very few options. It was that and Killzone Shadowfall, which didn't really grab me either. <laughs> but I played an entire season, every game. What, there's 82 games in the NBA season? Yep. And yeah. then the playoffs take forever. Yeah, that was too much. So uh, that was actually the last time I committed time to a sports game. After that, I said, I'm done. I, uh, I'm i going to focus on things with a narrative that ends. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, then I you have to play it. this. You have to play the story mode that Spike Lee did for one of the NBA 2K games. Yeah, that was like 18, I think. I mean, that would yeah. be a little bit interesting, but man, wish I could have that time back. But Your ghost you... brother is giving you pointers and stuff like that. I believe it's like crazy ass shit. <laughs> huh. Interesting. <laughs> Bernsey, how else did you waste time this console generation? Well, so. Uh, like as we were talking about before, I did get a PSVR and there's some really good experiences within that, but by far the most sick that I have gotten from VR was from trying to watch 360 degree videos on some of the video players that they had for it at launch. And the, the biggest problem with it was it was, I mean, it was cool at first, but then there was just enough of like a skip and a leg in the videos and then a skip and a leg when you would move around in them that it just like it tore my head apart. And I oh. had to like I literally had to t I took the headset off and laid down for three hours because my head hurt so much from from being in that. And so that was a terrible, terrible experience. Yikes. Wow. Like were other people like, or was that just a you thing? Because that sounds that sounds awful. So I I, I think it, it might have just been something with internet connection, and it was probably not not that great of things. I know lots of other people have had issues with VR sickness. That was where I had the most uh, problems with it. But I know lots of other people. There's some people that just can't play VR because they get motion sick in it completely. 
which which is which is on which is unfortunate, but it makes sense because some people can't play first person shooters because it makes them motion sick. And so, of course, if you're in VR, it's probably going to be even worse. So, um, and then the last one I threw on there, we don't have to discuss it, but the internet in 2020 has been a terrible experience. I just figured it should be mentioned. We can move on. Yeah, 2020 in general has been a terrible experience. I reached out for some feedback from our Patreon supporters about what games disappointed them this year. Billy had some interesting choices. His his list included Death Stranding, Middle Earth, Shadow of War, Avengers, and XCOM 2. Death uh, Stranding, Joey. What do you think of that one? So, like, Death Stranding's <laughs> a weird game. I know, like, we talked about it on the podcast a lot, well, last year. Uh, right after I had had like a really cool experience with that game. And shortly after that, I stopped playing it because I just couldn't get back into it. But like when that game was working the way that Kojima wanted it to work on you, it was pretty crazy. Uh, just how immersive, because that did feel pretty immersive when it's like you're sneaking and you're watching for this thing and trying to like keep track of it as it's tracking you down. But I can definitely see how that would be <laughs> an experience somebody doesn't like. I'm with Billy on Middle Earth Shadows of War. Like, I loved the original game. It was probably my favorite game on 360, but the sequel just didn't capture the same magic for me. The Nemesis system was cool, and it was better in this one, but all in all, the game just fell short of my expectations, too. Yeah. Cool. And that's on PS Plus right now. I I have it, so I can, I can play it now. I've been meaning to for a while. I always wanted to finish Shadows of War, or Shadows of Mordor, but I never, I got about halfway through and then never finished it. So, yeah, first game was awesome. Anyways, that's enough negativity for this show. Like, we don't want to dump yeah. on games. This is a celebration. <clears throat> Next up, we're going to talk about my top five favorite experiences of this generation. It's time now for. Tom Awesome's Top 5 Countdown. Five, We're going to spend a good chunk four, of the show talking about some awesome three, experiences, but two, this is my show. I'm one. the hero, so I wanted to talk about my top 5 experiences out of this entire console generation. Number 5, Evolve. Bernsey, remember when we played Evolve? I do. Evolve That's was, a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Evolve was a cool concept. It was asynchronous PvP, which meant it was 4v1. One player would create, would not create, but would play as this giant-ass monster trying to kill the other PCs. The other four would be this squad of uh, people trying to take down the monster. There was like a ranger. I usually played the healer, and I forget the other two classes, but it was quirky. There are three different monsters to unlock, and when you're playing against a human that was good as the monster, but not too good, it was a really awesome experience. There are multi-stage battles, and I don't know, I, I still remember the thrill of the tracker finding the footprints and then throwing down the dome to trap the monster in it, and it was a really cool game. Well, and I think the other really cool thing about that, and some of my favorite moments are like, or are the the AI elements around you also. So you're not only fighting this thing, but there's creatures in the environment. I remember one time where it's like, I'm running next to like two of you and all of a sudden an alligator grabs me and just starts like death rolling me. And it's like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> and it's like, we're trying to chase this beast and all of a sudden this alligator is just f***ing me, so. Yeah, I forgot how brutal the environment was. There were like plants yeah. and stuff that would eat you too and like these things could kill you. So like then your squad's down 25% capacity and... Ah, it 
wasn't a super long-lived game that probably needed some more support after launch with more monsters and more boards, but I had just so much fun playing Evolve. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. I wouldn't make my top five, but it was fun. Yeah, some matches were clunkers when the monsters sucked, but, you know, what are you going to do? Number four for me, hero-based shooters in general, and I'll summarize this as Overwatch is fun. Overwatch is fun. That's... Yeah, Overwatch is fun. We'll talk about it later too, but yeah, Overwatch is a lot of fun. Prior to this console generation, like your options for shooters were basically like Call of Duty and Team Deathmatch. And I think the hero-based shooter just gave you a lot of flexibility with matches and a lot of cool options. And man, did I fall in love with Overwatch. Number three, Spider-Man. I got a great story for my favorite character and my favorite medium. I mean, single player experience, single player's not dead, baby. There's Miles Morales. Can't wait to bust that out on the PS5. I love Spider-Man. Yeah, I mean, Sony's doing their damnedest to try to keep single-player experiences uh, alive and well, and they did a hell of a job this this generation with that. Spider-Man's one of those examples. Yeah. Number two, Ghost Recon Wildlands. I didn't expect to enjoy Whoa! this game so much. <laughs> but it's a squad-based <laughs> shooter, which has never really been my bag before. A big open world, four-player squads. Burnsy, me, Lance, and Eric Rivard just devoured this game. Eric, more so than the rest of us. Me on the other end of the spectrum, less so than the other guys. But, man, we spent so many hours in the jungle. And was that Colombia? Argentina? Uh, No. um, Brazil? Bolivia. 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 Yeah, I would have never gotten there. (laughs) But super fun game. I mean, the game itself was fine it had its highs and its lows there's some cool stuff you could do with drones but having that squad based element like being able to play through with those with you guys you have options to either try to be really stealthy which is more yours than lance's style and you have options to <laughs> run in and hit the button which is my style uh-huh no way <laughs> it was a priceless moment like lance was using his drone and he was scoping out all these guys and marking out these guys and you had this plan for like sniping them and i just saw the thing we had to do and i go running in there like lance is <laughs> watching something it's like, who's Leroy running through the base <laughs> yep pretty much let everybody else try to pick up the freaking pieces <laughs> who's running through the base tom it was like he's yelling con only it was my name <laughs> I think the other really good thing that Wildlands did was there was enough like randomness in what was going on in the environments. So you'd stumble across like uh, I can't remember one of the factions, but you'd stumble across like a, a party of this faction fighting another party of a different faction. And, and then you just stumble across it, let them fight it out and then just pick them off as you got into it. Uh, there was enough like random things that would happen immersively throughout the environment that just kept it like, really spiced it up as you were playing it, which I think was really cool. And there was a lot of like flexibility with how you could interact with your friends too. Burns and I invited, invented the classic will never be topped in multiplayer game. Again, of frag tag where we just throw grenades at each other and try to blow each other up, especially when we were in menus. Like one time you guys were going to take off in the helicopter without me. So I threw some C4 on it and blew it up in the air. (laughs) (laughs) There was another time. Oh, go ahead. Burns. I was gonna, well, go ahead, finish. There was another time I was flying the helicopter and I realized you guys were all in the menus, uh, like upgrading your skills and stuff. So I bailed out. Like I just jump out of the helicopter, hit the parachute, and like the helicopter is crashing to the ground. I don't say anything. Somebody realized I was being quiet and. 
Yeah, all of a sudden you exit out of the menu and you're dead on the ground around this fiery helicopter. Like, what the f*** happened? I don't know. I jumped out, guys. Yeah, that is actually what I was going to say. That was the next level, like, of that frag tag was the the ejecting out of the helicopter while you were flying it. And I, you couldn't hurt each other with bullets, but you must have been able to blow each other up with grenades. Oh, yeah. It was anything explosive. You could do it, but it wasn't bullets wouldn't do it. Yeah, I think it was just grenades. I don't think the grenade launcher would blow you guys up because otherwise right. our progress would have been much slower in that game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Noob tube. Before I get to my number one, what are the best experiences for you guys on this console generation? Gears 5 for me was uh, probably my my favorite so far. That game was just, so good. Like that, We played the yeah, first act like, together and oh man. Yeah, I mean, just from the you know the, you know, the story that's developing so far, the the play through. I mean, the only thing that I struggle with uh, is the. Uh, There's the a mechanic random... in this game, like it's a it's a story based shooter. So like you have an enemy and you're like. There's these set piece moments and like you're kind of on rails, except there are collectibles in every level. Casey, why don't yeah. you tell us about your experience? Because you went off about it when we hooked up. Yeah, the collectible thing is just uh, just just made me laugh. The first time I was playing through by myself, and I'm like, you get to this cutscene and like this, I, you know, I, I don't it's like know. A who body she is, snatcher. She's like being, yeah, just being attacked by this giant creature and like, help me, help me, you know, like you gotta hurry up, we're all dying over here. And I'm like, do 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 do, breaking a window in a bookstore, hopping in, looking for this guy. I'm like, yeah, I'm, hold on, I'm gonna get there. Don't worry about it. I got I gotta get this stuff. You know, don't worry about me. I'm over here. So, which the game itself was amazing. I thought that was a little odd that they would just yeah. throw that in there. And I suppose it's just for those people that like the 100 percent every single game or whatever, you know. But mm-hmm. it was um, a little immersion shattering. And just yeah, yeah it was. But o- overall, fantastic game. Um, and then uh, second for me is uh, Ori and the. Uh, which one is it? Not Will of the Wisps. The one that I just played. Blind, <laughs> Blind Forest. Forest. Or, or, or in the Blind Forest. Yeah. So um, that game is, I don't know. I, I think that game was incredible too. Uh, platformer controlling the little Ori sprite. And then uh, saying this blue orb that, that, that kind of flies above your head and helps you out through through the whole game. You get And that's where you get your attacks and, and things from. You get to collect obstacles as you go or solve uh, puzzles and obstacles as you go around uh, to different areas of the map and as you kind of level up you can unlock different portions of the map there's a, a skill tree where you get to you know upgrade your basic skills and, you know just a, a really great great game that i didn't expect to be that great yeah i felt the same way like i thought it was just going to be a cutesy little platformer and i grabbed it from the library it's like oh well, i heard this was kind of neat so i'll check it out and it was it was super charming it was very cutesy but there was a lot more meat to it too i think there's a lot more metroid i'm not super familiar with the metroid mm-hmm. uh franchise or formula but i think it's a very metroidy platformer experience in kind of a cute anime skin Castlevania too. It reminded me of that to an extent, um, but good Castlevania. Like <laughs> once we got into Castlevania Four, Castlevania, where you know there, it actually had amazing gameplay and the the controls were were spot on, um, really re- reactive and uh, functional. I, I, I get yeah, functional. <laughs> I, I can't actually wait to get back and play it instead of pulling my hair out. <laughs> Oh, those early Castlevania games were rough. <laughs> yes. Bernsey, what stood out for you? And don't steal my thunder on number one. 
No, I won't. Um, and, and I actually approach this differently because uh, we're going to talk about a, a lot of my best experiences later. But I'm surprised Monster Hunter World was not on your top five. I didn't have it anywhere in the show. And like that was my most played game last year. Like I went down <laughs> such a rabbit hole with Monster Hunter and Monster Hunter was phenomenal. But it didn't have like the fun with my friends that I played with a bunch of friends and that was fun. Don't get me wrong. But it, what, it didn't reach the high highs of like uh, Ghost Recon Wildlands for me or Evolve. Maybe you guys are just more fun than the friends I was playing monster hunter with uh but yeah that game was so good yeah i I, i'm surprised that that didn't make your top five because i know you were really really into it there at uh, one point phoenix asked me uh like how long i want or i said i wanted to play monster hunter and she said when do you want to play monster hunter i said every moment for the rest of our lives honey (laughs) 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 yeah i was pretty into it (laughs) Burns, anything else you want to mention before I say my number one? No, it's, I, I had lots of fun with Wildlands. Overwatch was surprising to me, too. Um, there's a lot of other things that we'll talk about as we get farther on that would, would sort of stack into this same conversation. So, um, And then I'm excited to hear you say number one. Number one for me. I did not expect this. I did not expect to ever play this game. But because we did our Final Fantasy show and you talked so glowingly and so lovingly, uh, my wife, Phoenix, listened to that show, and she's like, you know, you need to try Final Fantasy XIV. I'm like, well, there's a monthly subscription with it. Like, the whole game's on sale. It's a ton of content. And she's like, yeah, just get it, and we'll figure it out. And so it comes with one month of content, so I played it for one month, and it was just the best. Final Fantasy XIV, I absolutely adored that game. Like, it takes a very story-driven approach to an MMO. Like, I'm used to playing WoW, where, like, I skip through all the text, and it's like, all right, where do I need to go? Who do I need to kill? What do I need to fetch? All right, give me my rewards. And FF14 was just different, and, like, I wish that it was free to play because I would be head over heels with that game. Like, I could afford the monthly fee, but the problem is it is so stressful for me. Like, if I have that time, like, if I'm playing anything else, I'm like, I only have so much time with FF14. I need to go. I need to play that. I can only play that. I can't I can't play Overwatch. Yeah. No, I can't do this or that. Like, I have to play Final Fantasy XIV. And this, that stress is what turned me off from the game, but the game itself was just magnificent. Well, and it was really interesting because I'd played so much of it solo. I mean, and granted, there's certain things you never play solo, but I was never actually going through things with other people. And so that was a lot of fun, like you and me and uh, Eric and then Lance for a a few minutes (laughs) (laughs) like playing through that game because he didn't really enjoy it but it was it was lots of fun like starting back with uh, a class at level one and going through some of the starting content at the same time you guys were it's a weird game to play together because you can't play everything together you're depending on where you started you're doing different quests but then you can get together into the dungeons and uh, like and the starting dungeons in the game are just the tip of the iceberg as to how crazy and intricate and elaborate and how much teamwork you have to have to really get through some of them as you go farther on. But the, the early ones do a good job of getting you into that mode. Uh, it'd be fun if we could get back to it at some point if uh, uh, and play some of the little higher end content because that is so fun and so crazy and there's weird things you have to do in the dungeons and the story gets really good too once you get farther on in it also so well i haven't bought a next gen game yet so maybe that's that'll be my next purchase is another time card one of the things i thought was so cool about it was you and eric have put thousands of hours combined in this game that's not even hyperbolic that is fact no that's, that's fact and yeah you were able... i mean he was more i think but yeah 
and you were able to just take your same character, start a new class, and come join me in the beginning stuff. Like, I think that is such a neat mechanic to have that flexibility. Yeah, because you can play every class as the same character. You don't have to lose your name. You can be in the same guild and everything like that. None of like the junk you have to do with a lot of other MMOs, where it's like, okay, do I have room for my alt in this guild, or do we have to have an alt guild for this? You know, and so yeah, it, it's it's awesome that way. Also, it does a great job of teaching you how to play as part of a team. Like, there's a whole training session, so I actually learned how to be a tank, how to make the most out of my skills, and how to be a useful member of a team. So, like, that was just really neat. Like, they do a great job of teaching you how to get the most out of your character. That's really cool. I've never seen anything anything like that before in a game. Final Fantasy XIV is the bomb. What did we miss? What was your favorite experience on this generation of consoles? Share your thoughts at TomSidlachikOIO on Twitter. Here we go, guys. This whole first hour was just a prelude to the main meat of the show. For our final segment, we are going to talk about the best aspects of this gaming generation. Let's start with some quick questions from Patreon. Billy asks, what games that you played on the last gen, which I believe he meant PS4 and Xbox One that will be made on the new gen, are you looking forward to playing? So, like, what upscaled versions of PS4 and Xbox One games are we most looking forward to playing on the next generation? Uh, I didn't really give you guys time to prep on this, so I can start Gears 5. Give me Gears 5, no load times. Casey, let's destroy that game. Yeah, um, it so- sounds great. Sounds. Um, I'm hopefully hopefully going to be getting a Xbox Series X, hopefully. Been trying, <laughs> and, and it hasn't worked. Um, <laughs> but I'm really looking forward to playing everything, since I didn't really get to you know, do much on the last um, gen consoles. Hopefully I'll be able to play a lot of everything on the new new ones. If, or when my kids are on that, I still have no problem going back onto the Xbox one and, and ripping through some of the old stuff. Too. Yeah. And that's a nice thing on Xbox, Xbox's whole like value proposition. This, well, it, their whole value prop right now is that Xbox games will play on any Xbox. So like whatever they make for Halo Reach will be playable on your Xbox One. So like even if the Series X that you eventually get is tied up, like you'll still be able to play whatever games we want to. Burnsy, what uh what last gen game are you excited to play on the new console? Uh, so I'm interested in playing uh, Spider-Man Remastered. Uh, I did pick up Miles Morales, the Ultimate Edition, so you get Spider-Man Remastered with that. So I'm interested to see just from a graphical perspective and like the no load time stuff, uh, just the drastic difference that that is. I'm also interested in playing some of the games like Bloodborne that had like atrocious load times on the PS4 uh, and just seeing how significant of a change that is on PS5. I fired it up. It doesn't seem too bad. I mean, I only wandered into the first couple of streets, though. It's got a really killer open, though. I'm super intrigued by it. That's good. Yeah. Uh, one game that... Uh, so Marvel Avengers, that has crazy load time. <laughs> that, that'll be interesting to see if that's any different on the next one as well. That's one that we picked up, and I've been trying to play through a little bit with my youngest son because he really likes that game. But yeah, the load times in that are pretty awful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm intrigued to see what it's like for disc-based games versus digital games. Like, I've noticed with Game Pass games, it is a significant difference in the load times. I haven't played enough on PS5 to really uh, have an opinion yet. So the the secret with disc-based games is that the disc ba- the disc is really just DRM. Almost all disc-based games don't ever run anything really off the disc once it starts. 
uh, it run it installs the entire game onto the hard drive. You just need the disc in order to play it. Is is for the most part how it works. I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure that's what the case is. So it, there shouldn't be a drastic difference between them. I'll um, assume you're wrong just to be contentious. <laughs> Billy also asked, what are your thoughts on the prices for the consoles? This is a good question. There's two price points for each console. I had to have the top end for each because, A, I'm a disc-based gamer. Like, I get a lot of stuff from the library, so I don't have to pay for literally everything that I play. So I will start with Casey on this one. What are your thoughts on the different price points? You're looking for the Series X and not the Series S, correct? Correct. Yeah, I, I want the disc. But uh, I had no intention of buying it. Like, if you listen to the podcast, I'd actually stay true to that, whereas nothing actually coming out is all that intriguing to me. And I had no intention of buying it, except one of my children really, 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 really wants it. And I want to be a good dad and whatever. Spoilish little shit. But $500 is a lot of money, I think, for for a a console. $500 Um, And I I do struggle with it because most of the stuff you could do on an Xbox, you could do on a really nice PC, which is my argument in the last podcast too, is that like you could just go buy a, a gaming PC for not a whole lot more. You're going to need to buy like for me too, where I'm struggling is that none of the TVs that I have right now, I have a 4k TV, but it's 60 Hertz. A lot of the games in the future are going to be running on, you know, you're going to want that 120 Hertz. You're going to want that 2.1 um, HDMI, which no TVs have right now, unless you want to pay thousand dollars for but you can go like on amazon right now you can get a 55 60 inch 4k uhd tv at 60 hertz for like 250 bucks mm-hmm. but it's still not good enough technically for these next gen consoles so not only am i going to have to go buy a 500 console i'm also going to probably have to spend a thousand dollars for a new tv or 400 for a gaming monitor which again i'm going to need for a PC. So that's another area that I'm struggling with is that it, it forces you to, to not only upgrade your console, but upgrade y- your display also to, to, to play on it. It's so a slippery it, it, slope. It, yeah, it's going to be tough, I think, for a lot of families. But so far, they haven't had any problems selling the things out, although <laughs> it could just be could just be a bunch of robots buying them all up and selling them, which it seems to be. And nobody wants to spend a thousand dollars for a $500 console secondhand. So, right. Yeah. It's interesting. $500 is nothing to sneeze at. No. The PS3 got killed because it launched at, was it $700? Uh, 600, 600. 599.99. Boy. I mean, that's not much higher than where we are now. Nope. Bernsey, you're the only one of us without kids. What do you feel about the price point? Uh, I mean, there was a lot of people wondering if these consoles, the high-end versions of the consoles, were going to be $600. Um, especially, like, ray tracing is expensive to do from a graphics perspective. And just looking at, like, the the things that are in these machines, that's not cheap. And so the fact that it was a $500 price point is a really good price point for that. But it's it's, like you were saying, Casey... There's not a lot of games out there right now that are pushing you to say, I need to buy this day one, you know, for PS5, like the only actual exclusive PS5 games are the packing game. That's free Astro's playroom. And then demon souls, everything else is 
you could buy it on PS4 and play it. Miles Morales, you could do that. Sackboy, you could do that. Uh, I believe Bug Snacks is going to be out on everything. And, and so it, it's one of those things where there's not a lot that's saying you have to make the jump yet, um, which I guess is a good thing, seeing as how they're hard to find. I am debating about getting maybe an Xbox uh, Series S just because I don't really ever plan on buying discs. If I'm going to buy a disc version of a game, I'll probably play it on a PlayStation 5. And so it would really just be a Game Pass box. But it's not anything that's pressing right now that I really need to to pick it up now. But a $300 price point is crazy. Good. That's the same price as a friggin' Switch, you know? So, yeah, you, you can't beat that, I don't think. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's an insanely good price point for Microsoft. I think it's interesting and a nice consumer-friendly move that they did have two different price points for each machine too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it gives people it gives people options. Um, although right now nobody has options because you can't find them anywhere. Yeah, sorry, Casey. Tell me, tell me about it. Yeah, <laughs> Billy's final question: Did you have any worries that were relieved when you finally got into playing around with the consoles? I guess this is for you and me, Joy. Did you have any concerns about the hardware that have been alleviated? I, I guess I didn't really have any huge concerns going in. I had more um, curiosity, I'd say. Like, are the load times really going to be that big a deal? Yes. I have my Xbox yeah. One behind me. You can have that some. <laughs> well, if we were going to do this in person, I was going to have it. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the load times are, I mean, it's 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 impressive how, how quickly the things. It's funny. So I was playing Devil May Cry 5 uh, Special Edition. So that was originally a PS4, Xbox One game. And it has the things where in the loading screens, it's giving you like a bunch of lore and stuff like that. And not you can anymore, tell that they expected you to be on there for a lot longer. And so you start reading it. I get five words in and it's like the X pops up to say hit X to continue. And it's like, they were expecting me to be on this a lot longer than I was. So, so yeah, that's really cool. Uh, the controller, the controller, the dual sense uh, with the haptics and the adaptive triggers and stuff like that, especially in Astro's playroom it does a really good job of like showing you what that can add to a game and how interesting and fun that could be. It's really going to be curious as to see how much other games use it. Like I haven't noticed it once in demon souls, so I don't think they're doing anything with the triggers. Granted you use other buttons to attack more than the triggers anyway. So that's probably why. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see how much those are, how much those are actually used by developers when they're making games. Yeah, that's a good point on the controllers. Well, Billy, thanks for submitting your questions, and thank you again to all of our supporters on Patreon. Now, our best experiences. I came up with a whole bunch of categories, and I thought <laughs> we could talk about some of our favorite games. In case you haven't played as many of these, so stop us anytime you have questions about a game or anytime something sounds interesting, and we can dive in a bit more. I wanted to start, the biggest game in the planet is free, so I wanted to start with best free game. Now, Casey, you have teenage boys. I have a teenage nephew. He is obsessed with Fortnite. Not my choice. I chose Apex Legends. Yeah, my boys are all Fortnite as well. Um, that's all they play. And uh, I don't know why they don't play Apex Legends, but they've just never gotten into it because all their friends play Fortnite as well. So yeah, and maybe have... all the adults are playing Apex and all the kids are still playing Fortnite. I have a lot of respect for Fortnite and how big it got. It's just not my cup of tea. Like the building's a neat mechanic and there's a lot of cool customization, but one map forever, that is just not my style. Bernsey, you also picked Apex Legends. What makes this game stand out for you? And I guess maybe let's set the scene a little bit. It's a battle royale shooter 
hero base so you choose a character who has a special ability then you drop into this map that progressively gets smaller and basically you're just gunning to be the last man standing or woman yeah yeah i think i think where it succeeds is that it took the things that were successful with battle royales and it took the things that were successful with like the hero base shooters and kind of merges them together in a really cool way and i think the other thing that they did a really good job of is um the tagging mechanic so when you are you're in a team of three as you're playing through the game and you find equipment that you don't need but you think somebody else might need it you can tag that equipment and it's gonna like alert other players that you found this weapon over here so they could come and get it so granted when we played we were always talking and stuff back and forth but it was a good way to put something like visually on the HUD for the player so that they could easily find that if they weren't chatting with you or whatever. And it's a really cool mechanic in, it, in, in a game where communication is key and you might not always have verbal communication with someone. It, it's a really, it's a really cool thing to have in there. Um, and so, yeah, so that's why I would have picked it. Uh, I did want to try to play Genshin Impact a little bit, but I figured it wouldn't be my cup of tea since it's basically a Zelda game, but free to play. Uh, so that's another one that I think a lot of people would say would be a really good free-to-play game, but Apex Legend, Legends has it for me. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Genshin Impact. My brother-in-law is playing that like crazy, and he loves like his phone games. The thing that turns me off is like login bonuses and having to log into the game every single day. So I played about an hour and a half of it, and visually it's very stunning. You can climb stuff just like Breath of the Wild. That seems like a direct uh, homage, and mm-hmm. there are definitely things that I would like about this game, but just I, I don't I don't have enough time to game that I want to log into something on a console every single day. It's cool that it's free, though. And Apex Legends is a really good game for free. Yes, it is. It definitely is. And they keep adding things to it. I think they've already added, like, five or six characters to it. There's an evolving, like, story, kind of like Overwatch does, uh, in, like, the introduction of characters about, like, things that are happening. So they did this deep fake where they're introducing one character and then the killer, the character gets assassinated by another character. And that's actually the one that got released in the game. It's just some really cool, fun stuff that they were doing with it. A couple downsides, a lot of currencies in that game and not all the heroes are available from the beginning. So, right. I mean, that's the negatives of getting a sweet game for free. That's true. Best co-op game overall. I talked about my favorite earlier, Ghost Recon Wildlands. Just, if you want something where you can run around the wilderness and shoot bad guys with your buddies, you, it doesn't get any better than Wildlands. Yeah, I actually went with Division 2. I think out of the two games, I enjoyed... So Ghost Recon, I played some on my own and, and enjoyed that fine. I enjoyed Division 2 a lot more playing with people, and so that's why I kind of put Division 2 here. Also, I never really got into the story beats of it, So that's why I kind of picked it for best co-op overall, because I had a lot of fun playing through that game, whether it was the four of us or it was just Lance and I going through it, especially like the the upper level, like end game world tiers. Uh, That game surprised the hell out of me how much I enjoyed it. I did not expect to enjoy it as much as I did. I bought it because it was like five bucks or whatever when Ubisoft had one of their huge sales. They were practically Uh, giving it away. I got it for five dollars. I thought about getting a copy for like everyone that was coming to our holiday party. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> it, it's a lot of fun. It's a it's a really cool game. Um, it's a shooter. It, it, it's kind of a living service game. Like there is a story to it. You're going out on missions and you're upgrading stuff. But 
Uh, it's kind of open worldly, as then you can go all over the city. Of where does it take place again? Was that one DC? Washington DC. Yep. Yeah, and there's uh, weapons and upgrade points scattered all over the map. But basically, you're going from point to point to complete mission to mission. Some really big set piece moments. And yeah, it was a very good game. I bounced off it for something. Ohio. I had to focus for something on the show, and you guys went on to completely dominate the rest of the game, and I've never come back. <laughs> yeah, that, that that will happen from time to time. I'm a big fan of couch co-op. I love playing things with my wife. Sometimes my brothers come over, and I like I just love having a local game that we can jump into and rip through together. Burns, you want to lead us off with the best couch co-op game of this generation? Yeah, so that one's that one was more difficult for me because I I haven't really played a whole lot of couch co-op games. Oh, you play uh, everything online, don't you? Yeah, a lot of things were online, and, and it's just one of those things where there's only been a few random occasions where I've been sitting next to other people and playing. But one of my favorites, uh, well, Towerfall Ascension was a really good one. I remember playing that at your apartment. Uh, we had a lot of fun with that. Uh, in between while waiting on freaking, uh, what, what is the huge game? Memoir 44, where we were playing yes. with the floor-based <laughs> maps. And somebody on this podcast is one of my best friends in the world, but he can get into the deep thinking that game, and sometimes it creates a little extra free time for the other side. Yeah, we played <laughs> Not three rounds any names, of Towerfall Ascension in between, <laughs> but the game I picked was Overcooked. Uh, so basically what you're doing is it's up to four players, and it's all couch co-op, and what you're doing is you are all trying to fulfill these orders as chefs in a restaurant. And the thing is, is, I mean, I did play through the game entirely on my own also, but it's so much fun playing with other people because you have to communicate. So you're like, I need you to chop tomatoes. I need somebody else to chop lettuce. I'm going to get the buns and I'm going to get the burgers on. Who's going to do the dishes? Yeah, exactly. Somebody needs to do the Who didn't finish the dishes? You know, and and so it's just like you have to be constantly and it starts off like a little bit easier and then it gets complex where there's multiple things that you're making. uh, And then it like adds like weird environmental things. So, you know, like you're you're on a pirate ship and yeah, you're on a pirate ship and like it'll tilt one way and the whole kitchen will shift and suddenly you don't have access to the whole area anymore and all kinds of wacky things. You're on two food trucks that are driving side by side, but then they separate. And so you lose half of that kitchen and then somebody is walking between them and just falls and dies and loses like the burger they cooked. Casey, yeah. you've got to play this game with your boys. Like, I think you would have just the most riotous time. I believe Overcooked 2 is available on Game Pass. One of the Overcooked is available on Game Pass. You should definitely check it out. Yes, I would highly recommend it. Is it on Switch, do we know? Is it? A... I believe it's on Switch also. Because that would be probably the best since we have enough controllers for that. Might have to try that, look it up. Yeah, you should definitely check it out. Mine feels kind of boring. I mean, it originally released on PC, but Diablo 3. My wife and I have put a lot of time into Diablo 3, and it's just a phenomenal experience. It's really well balanced. It's The end game content is really fun. You can just kind of bounce around and pick off some bosses here and run over here and do this other little task. And just uh, we have put so much time into Diablo 3. And it was such a no-brainer for me that I created another category, Best Non-Diablo Couch Co-op. Bernsey, <laughs> you said Overcooked again. Yeah, that that's great. I went with Children of Morta. Another Charge Darling makes the show. In Children of Morta, you're doing dungeon dives. You play as this family that has some sort of ancestral 
magic or something. You die and you get resurrected in the house or I don't know. I, I thought the story was absolute rubbish, but the core gameplay <laughs> loop of going into the dungeon, defeating as many monsters as you can, you get some gold, you die, you go back to the house, you buy some upgrades, and then you repeat basically. And as you play more, you unlock more characters. I think there are either seven or nine total in the game. And it's been, I mean, not as fun as Diablo, but that's been our couch co-op game of choice lately. And it's really really fun although i just hate the art style and the story with the passion <laughs> the art style it's got kind of that like that pixelated look that a lot of games are into and just not yeah. for me i want crisp clean visuals like the color palette is nice and interesting and kind of a fresh style but oh i hate pixelated art styles now well that says a lot about it then if you still really enjoy it even though you hate two aspects of the <laughs> game <laughs> yeah for sure yeah i mean the core the dungeon running is as good as it gets. Let's see. Next up, we're going to completely jump topics. Best Star Wars game. Bernsey, we have different takes here. Yeah, I went with Squadrons, and the main reason was because that was the one I played the most. Um, I played a lot of Battlefront. Did not, I mean, I enjoyed Battlefront okay, but it wasn't a fantastic game. But yeah, Squadrons is a lot of fun, especially playing it multiplayer. Uh, I still have not gotten back to playing in VR a lot of the story stuff because I want to play all the story in VR. Um, and the problem with VR is once you put it away, you don't want to take it back out unless you're committing to playing it for a while. Uh, and so, so yeah, that's kind of how that worked. But I mean, I love those space combat games like that. I really loved X-Wing versus TIE Fighter before. And Squadrons does a really good job of playing for that. I've played through that with Lance and Chewie and John, our Gloomhaven group. Uh, a few times we've played some online matches. Um, we are terrible at it, get rocked all the time at it, but it's still a lot of fun. I'm willing to bet you're the weak link on the team, aren't you? You're the tinkerer. Uh, Little Gloomhaven joke there. Huh? Huh? No, huh? I, 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 I've, I've had my rounds where I will be just destroying ships and then I'll try a different ship and I will not be nearly as good. There's, I'm only really good with the A-Wing, a little bit with the X-Wing. The other ones I'm pretty... I chose Jedi Fallen Order because it's a combination of Star Wars and Dark Souls. Super fun, a lot of exploration. I mean, it's an adventure game, and uh, I don't know. I was completely charmed by it, and I wish I had infinite time in my life to play games. I would have completely devoured this. Casey, yeah, you my, have an uh, opinion on this one? Yeah, my oldest son uh, played it and actually beat the game, um, so which was really, really fun watching him uh, play through different levels. I helped him with some of the like puzzle building aspects of some of the levels where there's certain, like I don't, the one I'm thinking of is like, there's some boulders and things like that you had to move around and get them onto different like levers to open up different areas so you could advance. So I trying to help him through that. And then um, I have played like 15, 20 minutes of it, just kind of like dinking around on it. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and if you're not familiar with like the dark souls formula, like it, that's a hard genre to jump into. Cause there is a lot of block parry dodge. Like it's uh. I mean, it's a demanding combat system. Yeah, it's methodical. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was cool. I was really enjoying the story. If I would have played it more, I probably would have picked it, but I, I just felt like I had to go with Squadrons. The next category, best fighting game. I'll start this one off. I didn't expect to enjoy it. I don't know even how I picked it up for the first time, but I really fell for Injustice, the first DC Heroes fighting game. It was made by uh, NetherRealm Studio, which makes the Mortal Kombat series. And I thought my wife loves Batman, and 
she's intrigued by video games. She doesn't play a lot, so I thought I must have picked it up from the library or something. And we tried it, and it's like, wow, this story is really interesting. We played through the whole story together, passing the controller, and I mean, I'm rubbish at fighting games. I'm just terrible, but I really enjoy like jumping in as the iconic DC heroes and wailing on each other. I may be a terrible parent for this, but my youngest son actually beat Injustice. <laughs> and he's, I mean, he's eight, and I know there's a lot of stuff in that game that's probably not <laughs> that age appropriate, but I mean, he really he really likes playing that. If it was Mortal Kombat, that would maybe maybe be something a little bit different, and he's just like <laughs> ripping hearts and spines out of people. Like, you know, the DC one is a bit more wholesome. Like, people still get killed, but there's not like dismemberment and gore and stuff, at least. Yes. I can't remember how the language was, but I mean, I like that Injustice 2 is probably a better game. It improves on a lot of things, but it didn't capture us the same way. Although the DLC includes the Ninja Turtles, so I really need to go back to the Legendary Edition. Huh. What was the top fighting game for you guys? Let's let Casey do it. I haven't played a whole lot, but uh, Super Smash is is one game that I have played. Uh, we own two Wii's in my household, so or not Wii's, we uh, switches in my household. So we have played uh, a lot of Super Smash, and uh, it's definitely a lot of fun. I'm not very good at it, but it's one of the best fighting games I've played. Who's your favorite character? Oh, I don't know. Probably just Mario. Old, old school. He's easy to play with. <laughs> And so Bert. Super Smash Brothers was my favorite also, um, more so just because I played it a lot more and w- enjoyed it a lot more than the other ones. I've picked up Super I, so Street Fighter V was free. Uh, a lot of the fighting games end up being free on PlayStation Plus as as like the years have gone on. So I've played, I've played Tekken 7 a little bit. They just, traditional fighting games just don't really grab me, whereas there's enough things to do in Super Smash Brothers Um that it's just that much more interesting. Uh, and I have a lot more affinity for the characters in that. Uh, my favorite characters are Dr. Mario and Kirby. And I've played around a little bit with Joker, but I haven't played it much since he came out, uh, who is the lead of Persona 5. I like playing as him as well. He's a little bit different than um, the other characters that I like. Uh, but yeah, Super Smash Brothers is Ultimate is fantastic. And they keep, keep adding characters to the game. Minecraft Steve. <laughs> Minecraft Steve. I also want to give a shout out to Dragon Ball Fighters. Like I only dabbled with it, but I know my friend and also frequent co-host Scott love that game. Like it very stylish, very cool. Just I couldn't get a grasp on the controls and didn't do much for me, but visually one of the most remarkable games of the last generation. Racing games. Racing games. I didn't play any. Like I played I was a little say- Forza Horizon, like my brother loves racing games and sometimes I play them with him, like Dirt 4 was pretty intriguing to me, never actually played it, but it's a popular genre, so I thought we should talk about it. Yeah, like I'll usually pick up the Gran Turismo game for a PlayStation system, and I never did for the PlayStation, and so by default, the only one I played, and it was the reason I bought my Switch, Mario Kart 8, which is a fantastic game. It's so much fun. Mario Kart is... It's hard to call it a racing game because it's it's much more so, uh, hey, you're good at this? Well, f*** you, simulator. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's just a lot of fun to play, especially with other people. Um, I know a couple of times when it first came out, I with some online Facebook groups that I'm in, we'd get together as groups of people and just get into the same lobby together and do some races and just lots of fun. You know what you're getting out of it. Um, you know, 
just blow the crap out of whoever's in front of you and try to stay, try to get to try to win at the right time, basically. Um, but yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's the only only one I've played to, so that was my winner by default. Um, I'm hoping to get into you know the next uh, better ones like Forza and things like that. I, I really want to try, but uh, I, I never never did. So Mario Kart for me too. Well, there you have it. Patreon supporters, why don't you hook us up with some Forza Horizon in the next vote, huh? Huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, from racing games, we move on to best shooter. This is a huge genre, but not one that I play a whole lot of. Uh, Burnsy, why don't you start us off here? Yeah, so there was another game that I had in this spot for a while, uh, but I ended up taking it out because I had to put Overwatch. Uh, Overwatch is so much fun and i scoffed at playing the game and buying the game because i was like there is no way that just an online multiplayer shooter first person shooter is worth 60 dollars. like there's no story there's nothing to it um i've played other other first person shooters with story like multiples uh it's not my favorite genre but i've played enough of them but overwatch is the one that i have played the most i've had the most fun with it is just a blast. Uh, some games get really frustrating. Some matches that you're in get really frustrating. But there's enough a he- enough choice of heroes and the three different types, either tank or damage or healer. Like, you can mix it up and play different things. You'll find a character that you kind of vibe with and, and can, like, get good with or, or multiple characters that you can get good with, and then you just kind of keep rolling with that. And it's the type of game where... I'm going to log in and just play two games. And then three hours later, you've played how many matches and you're just like, I just got one more. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do better this time, you know? Uh, so yeah, Overwatch took me by surprise. I love that game so much more than I thought I was going to. I'd like to take some credit because I, mm-hmm. I turned a lot of people onto Overwatch. They did some free play weekends, which made it easier to convert people. I think that's how I got you. I mm-hmm. I was intrigued by it at launch. I remember the Game Informer coverage, and I got it for Christmas, the year that it came out, and I was really excited. I dabbled a little bit, and I didn't get into it. And I forget why I eventually went back to it. I think I had a friend out of my D&D group that was playing a whole bunch, and he invited me to jump on. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll give it another try. And he kind of showed me the ropes, and I got a feel for the maps, and I got a feel for the first characters, and then I was hooked. Like, I think... If you haven't played Overwatch or gotten into it and you're interested, like you really need kind of a guide to kind of just break you into the game and, you know, encourage you when to push forward on a payload and when to drop back and when to regroup. And like, it's really helpful to play with someone experienced until you get your feet a little wet. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and don't play ranked matches until you're ready. Cause that is the most toxic environment ever. Like I was like, I'm pretty good with soldier. I'm going to go in and I'm going to, I'm going to try to do the season and rank and get ranked and see what I can do. And two games in, I stopped and I have never gone back to it because some like 12 year old kid was just like, whoever's soldiers, a piece of shit. You're not even doing enough damage. What the hell? And it's just like that constantly, just constantly. And it's just like, well, this is not worth it. So Boy, that's the downside of the evolving technology. Like, it's so easy to be connected with other people. Like, unless I actually know you in real life, like, I have so little interest in playing with you. And people do all kinds of annoying stuff. And people are like, mm-hmm. mean, like, I deal with enough in everyday life that I do not need it in my favorite hobby. No, that's very true. 
Yeah, I never played a ranked match, and I never, never will. My best shooter was Doom Eternal, which we talked about earlier. Just a phenomenal game. Like, if you're into shooters and heavy metal and, like, demon slaying, like, fire it up. You can't go wrong. <laughs> if you're into demon slaying. <laughs> it's a hobby I've been yeah. trying to get into. I, I don't get enough of it in my real life. <laughs> I, just don't, I need more demon slaying. You know, Brian would get it. Brian would get it. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, hate Casey. Next up, best role-playing game of the console generation. I mean, it's kind of cheating, but I chose Final Fantasy fourteen. Like, RPGs are my favorite genre, so, like, this is, like, a shining example of phenomenal game design to me. Can't give enough love to Final Fantasy fourteen. We already talked about it. Unless you want to add something, Burnsy, what was your choice? My choice was Persona 5. Uh, I, I really like that game. Uh, I'm Persona 4 Golden, I think, is still my favorite Persona game and might be my favorite RPG, but Persona 5 is still super great. Stylish. Stylish as hell. <laughs> we got some dogs in the background. Uh, <laughs> I was just looking. I don't know where the hell you are. Yeah, Persona 5. The music is great. The gameplay is really great. And like I, I need to mention Yakuza Like a Dragon. I've been playing that now and I'm not far enough into it, but I'm getting the feeling that it might actually like supplant persona five as being my, as being probably my top RPG. It is so much fun so far. I'm just not, I'm about a third of the way through it. Um, Is it an action RPG or is it a JRPG? It's pretty much a JRPG. Like there is, it does the thing kind of like how um, if you ever played Legends of uh, Legends of Dragoon, it does a thing where you have to like tap buttons sometimes or or hit them at the right time. So there's some there's some like uh, uh, quick time events uh, with some of the attacks, but otherwise it's completely turn based, strategic. Like you know this person needs to do this so that I can do this to this enemy kind of thing. Um, but it's 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 mixed up with the crazy yakuza stuff that you've seen in any of the other crazy yakuza games um which is just hilarious fun um so yeah that probably would be my rpg of the year if we did this another month from now when i've beaten it but uh persona 5 is still also amazing i fired up persona 5 i didn't get super deep into it but what struck me is that it was a very persona experience like the only other game I've played in the franchise is Persona 4 Golden, but like there are striking similarities in like the tone of these games and just like the art style and it felt very familiar and I would have loved to have spent more time with it because I love Persona 4 Golden, but after the short time I had with it, I'm like, I think I know what this is and then I moved on to the next thing. No, that's understandable. Best MMO. We don't have to put too fine a point on it. Like we both love Final Fantasy 14. Just a phenomenal yeah. game. Any other MMOs that we played this generation? No, I don't think, uh, I think Star Wars The Old Republic was, oh, I did play Neverwinter, the online MMO for D&D. I played that for a while. It was fine. But yeah, Final Fantasy XIV is phenomenal. I would recommend it to anybody that's looking at getting into an MMO, especially if you like Final Fantasy. Casey, you've gone off the deep end with me on Ultima Online. You took it to an all new level of obsession, in my opinion. Uh, Do you think you'll ever play another MMO? Uh, probably not, especially, <laughs> especially not one that you have to pay for. I, I struggle with that too. Like if there's a monthly subscription, I'm definitely not paying it. So unless it's a, a free MMO, um, there's probably no, no chance I'm getting into it. 
Yeah, I feel very similarly. Best emotional punch in a game. Casey, lead us off on this one. Uh, Ori in the Blind Forest. I had no idea what it was. Uh, Tom was like, hey, here's a game you might want to check out. So I, I downloaded it, put it in, sitting there watching the prologue, and by the end of it, I'm having to choke back tears. I'm like, what in the hell it is, is just going on? gut-wrenching, and I don't want to spoil it if somebody hasn't had that experience, but like, if you have Game Pass or if you have access to Ori and the Blind Forest, or even just look it up on YouTube, but watch that opening prologue. It is just so well done and so beautiful and so emotional. Like This was also my choice, so... I'm glad I got to share it with somebody because it was just phenomenal. Yeah. Well, and the game itself after that is really good too. So definitely, definitely one that I would recommend anybody should, should play. Yeah. It's also available on switch now too, I believe. So you can play it. it Yeah. Yep. Yep. Bernsey, your choice was one of your favorite games of this entire console generation and something I haven't checked out yet, but why don't you tell us about the emotional punch of life is strange. If you can do so without spoiling the game. Yeah, um, so Life is Strange, to be exact, is my number three game of this generation, which it's, what, about a teenage girl and her friend that she was estranged from. and Super relatable then, for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it was just like when I hung out with the girls back in high school. Um, but uh, it, like, the characters are so well done. And so the whole setup of the game, because I can I can bring up, like, one of the emotional bits is, so you just meet your best friend from when you were growing up. You move away then from that town for a while. You start to get back to know her. You go back to the school while you're a senior. And you're in the bathroom as she's, like, having a confrontation with somebody, and she gets shot and killed. Oh. And so you are just starting to reconnect with this person that you had a deep connection with. And that's when the main character, Max, realizes she has powers and can reverse time. And so she then basically is continuing to go back in time to try to figure out how to save Chloe. Because no matter what happens, something bad always ends up happening happening to Chloe. And so the entire five episodes of the game are all about you using your time powers to sort of figure out how to solve not just the situation of how to fix Chloe's life, because she's just a very broken person person for a teenager but then how to fix other things that are going on and uh there's just these other weird things that are happening in the world and at the end of the game you have to make a choice and i sat there on the screen where you have to make the choice that you have to make and it's it's like it the choice has weight because it's like everything in the game is building up to this point and you're basically saying do i pick this or do i pick this uh and the rest is gone And so it's like hard. I sat there and I thought about it for like three minutes on that choice. And I made the choice and I saw what happened. And I instantly went back and made the other choice and saw what happened. And I, I literally sat there for 45 minutes, just thinking about afterwards, listening to the menu music and just thinking about like a lot of things, not just about the game. It's like playing memoir 44 with Casey. (laughs) <laughs> like come on man <laughs> and and while while you say it while you say it's it's one of those things that you can't necessarily connect with like a teenage girl but like what she's going through pretty much anybody can kind of connect to and the way that that resonated and like 
the way I actually think of it, and I want to write it up to make be much more eloquent at some point. Um, but it it literally was time travel after I finished that game because I was back in a very specific moment in my life and thinking about how could things have been different if I could have intervened at that point kind of thing. And it's just, just the way that that resonated with me was more than like the story in any video game ever really had, which was amazing to me. And so that's why I would highly recommend life is strange. I know Pat who's been on the podcast before, or has at least been on unfiltered before uh, also really enjoyed that game. And so I would highly recommend it. It's pretty quick to get through, be like eight to 10 hours total to get through all five episodes. Um, but I would highly recommend it. Um, and he did to do throw one one runner up in there is the end of Final Fantasy 15 when you're around the fire with your bros to the end. That moment like like connected with me on a whole nother level and surprise was surprisingly well done for a video game, I thought too. So I wanted to throw that in as a quick honorable mention. That's awesome. I think the whole argument are video games art? Are they not art? I think it's so asinine. Like there's such a wide range of experiences and art yes. styles. And like, I think, I don't know. I love video games as art and I'm very passionate about the topic. And, uh, I'm super intrigued by life is strange and I've downloaded to two different consoles. Now I need to get around <laughs> to actually playing that game. Yeah. And now I worry that I've built it up too much. Um, but it does some really interesting things. I would highly recommend it still from best emotional punch. We move on to best narrative. My answer feels kind of boring. Spider-Man for me. I love the Spider-Man story. Favorite character in my favorite medium. It was well done. I mean, I actually started watching the cutscenes again on YouTube. I enjoyed it so much. So that, that was my answer. Spider-Man. Bernsey, you you love your branching crazy narratives. I do. And at this point, before we continue on, I'm going to put a huge caveat to the rest of my responses because my game of the year could probably have been so many of these ones that are coming up that uh, it probably trumps all of these in that case. Um, But I chose Detroit Become Human because the way that it pulls things together based upon the choices that you make. And like you said, I have a huge affinity for that in games, uh, which is why I enjoyed Chrono Trigger so much. I can't believe I waited so long to play it. Um, But the way that the decisions you make are going to change not only like what options you have, but then how characters react to you, how other characters react to you moving forward is just phenomenal. Why don't we set the stage a little bit more with Detroit hum- yes. Become Human? We A lot of these games we've been talking about are huge games that I think most gamers are yeah. familiar with. I think Detroit might have maybe slipped off people's radars a little bit. I know it had some hype around it coming out, but can you tell us a little bit more about the premise of Detroit Become Human? Yeah, so so basically Detroit Become Human takes place in Detroit, Michigan, um, in the not-too-distant future. I think it's supposed to be probably like mid-2020s, 2030, something like that. I can't remember if it actually says or not. But basically, you know, since cars aren't as big of a deal anymore, Detroit ended up turning into, instead of creating cars, they created androids. And so in the game, you follow the story of three different androids. One of them is a detective. One of them is basically like a house servant. And then the other one ends up be leading like a resistance movement. And it's all about androids trying to trying to say that they should be treated as more than just robots, um, that that they're they've evolved to the point where they have complex thought like humans do. And to some extent, a level of feeling like humans do. Um, and they should be respected as such instead of being treated as 
a lesser class of individuals and like, oh, if an Android dies, it's no big deal. I will say there's lots of very ham fisted comparing it to slavery stuff in there, which would make a best narrative fairly suspect. But where the game shines, where the game shines, and there's some dialogue that's ham fisted too, especially with one of the characters. Um, but where it shines is that the characters that they do get right end up being really good and you end up being able to create them sort of the way that they are. So my favorite was Connor, the detective and the relationship that he ends up developing with this, with his, his human detective partner that hates him at first and sort of how you can either play up that hate and they just loathe each other the rest of the game, but they have to work together or how you can turn him into actually sympathizing with the androids as you go through the game based upon the choices you make is just really cool. And you don't see that type of stuff in a lot of games. And it's the type of thing that I would like to see happen a lot more. And so I think it's really cool. And you can sort of see the flow charts after you finish a level as to where the different decisions could have taken you. And it's fun to kind of go back through and play those things. Um, and a little addicting as what I got the platinum for the game in five days. I played it for like two hours over five days. Um, I just really loved that game. Um, so I would say that that was my best narrative. From best narrative to best character. Bernsey, the floor is yours. Yes. So this is one that I do feel confident in saying, even though I'm still playing the game, but Ichiban Kasuga, the main character of Yakuza Like a Dragon, is my favorite character of the generation. So if you've played any of the other Yakuza games, your main character is the dragon of Dojima, Kiryu. Um, yeah, my man. He's, he's, he's an okay character, but he's like, just kind of like a muscle head, very one note-ish. Like with some of the sub stories, they, they show you a little bit different side of him. And then you get Majima and Yakuza 0, who's completely different and a better character, I would definitely say, than, than uh, Kiryu is. But Ichiban Kasuga uh, is such an interesting character, and he's so earnest. And I think part of the reason why you can get behind him, his whole thing, I mean, he's an ex-Yakuza in the majority of the game. And, like, his whole goal, like, because they're asking, what's your goal in life? His whole goal is he wants to be a hero, like the hero in Dragon Quest. And he wants to, like, make people's lives better by making the right decisions and standing up for people. And it's, like, it's silly. But every time he gets into these situations and he just keeps trying to do the right thing and... And the way that people just sort of like start to play along with it are really like feed into it because of his just constant positivity where you don't really see that through the rest of the world of the game is really interesting. And the fact that you can connect to him because he's like a gamer, he loves Dragon Quest and stuff like that, and that you're seeing the world sort of through that lens is really cool. And there's some there's some insanely touching moments that he has with the other characters that you just didn't see I think with a lot of the other Yakuza Yakuza games, but just in a lot of games in general, he's just a really dynamic, interesting character. And so that's why I had to, had to pick him uh, for my favorite character. I went with Aloy from Horizon Zero Dawn. I, I've been thinking about her a lot and I'm not sure why she resonates so well with me. She is an outcast. She's part of a, like a barbarian tribe in the not too distant future where earth has largely been destroyed. She's an outcast. You don't know why, but everyone's just mean to her and she kind of has to rise up and take like the hero's journey. 
I'm having a hard time articulating why I like her so much, but she's such an unlikely hero and she's so mm-hmm. compassionate and she can empathize with the people who are just unusually cruel with her. It, she displays so many of the traits like that I wish that were a part of my own personality that just aren't a part of me and that I respect <laughs> and admire. Empathy. <laughs> <laughs> and the ability to shoot a bow. I don't know. Horizon, <laughs> Horizon Zero Dawn completely charmed my pants off. That was... I loved that game, and I got maybe eight hours into it before I had to bounce off for the next thing for this show. But out of everything on PS4, I think that's the most interesting world, the most interesting gameplay. Like, I just, if I could get that time back from all those things I played, like NBA 2K, and dump it all into Horizon (laughs) Zero Dawn, I would be a much better person, I think. So you think you're going to try to finish it before the uh, sequel comes out on PS5 in the spring? Oh, boy, I should, but there's Cyberpunk, and I don't have that much time for gaming, plus Game Pass Forever, so we'll see. I mean, I yeah. I really have a hard time thinking of what PS4 game I'm going to commit to next because, I mean, we'll get to the one that's probably at the top of the list in just a little bit. Okay. Casey, did you have any standout characters from the things you played this year? I mean, Gears 5 was a lot of fun, but did any of those guys grab you? Nah, not really. Um, <laughs> I think the main character shows some promise, but we're just getting to know her. Like the first act focuses on one person and then it kind of pivots after that. I think. Yeah. I think I'd be more invested in it if I had played any of the other gears titles. I mean, besides I played the first one, but I hadn't played two, three, four. So yeah. jumping in on five, when I don't really know the depth of the other characters, it's a little hard. And then, yeah, the new character is she's, she's new and I just haven't played that many hours of the game yet where I'm all that invested in it. I kind of like that with the rest of the games too, where like, I, I just, I don't have the hours into it to, to really get deep, deep into a character and, and have it affect me, you know? Yeah. Well, you can't have a good protagonist without a good antagonist. Who are our best bad guys? I cannot believe it, but I couldn't think of a single antagonist that stood out to me in this entire console generation. What's wrong with me? Like, I don't know. So like I listed off a few, like, so Otto Octavius in Spider-Man, I think, is a really interesting villain because you empathize with him because you sort of see him as he's turning through the game and you try to stop it as Peter Parker, um, but you just can't. But you can understand why he's gotten the way he has. I mean, you're um, suspending disbelief, like, right there. Like, you know Dr. Otto Octavius is going to be Doc Ock. Like, and I love that game, but and he was exceptionally well done, but... I don't know. Like, I think of wrestling villains that just stand up on this pedestal or uh, Spike's nemesis and Cowboy Bebop. And, like, I, I'm usually drawn to these charismatic villains. And I couldn't think of any in time for this show. Charismatic villain, Handsome Jack in Borderlands 2, as well as also uh, Tales from the Borderlands. I, I didn't play much of Borderlands 2, but I played all of Tales from the Borderlands. And he is just a really interesting and charismatic for sure villain. Yeah, I wouldn't have counted Borderlands 2 for the show because I associate that with the last generation even though I've Oh, was that it. on PS3? Yep. Oh, I can't remember that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was remastered for That's true. In PS4. Well, who else is on your list, Burns? So yeah, so the one I picked is for the main villain of Persona 5, so my Masayoshi Shido, uh who is a politician and What's interesting about this villain, because so like Persona 4 Golden is you don't really know who the villain is. It's like a mystery kind of thing. And it's, you know, and ultimately in all Persona games, it ends up being this huge metaphysical being in the end that was pulling all the strings anyway. 
Um, but in Persona 5, you meet the villain at the start of the game. Like, he's the reason why you are a disgraced person um, who's basically seen as a delinquent and has to move away from home and into the city because you did this thing. Because he was doing a despicable act to a woman, and you stepped in to stop it, and then he turned the tail on you and said you assaulted him. Um, and because he is a politician, he had the clout that you didn't, so your life is f***ed. And then you're spending the entire game trying to fight back against like the circumstance he's put you in until you start to find out that he's pulling even more strings of all that f***ed up that's going on in the world. Uh, and like the moment you finally start to take him on uh, is, is awesome in the game, I think. And like just the deeper you dig into the character and some of the things he does throughout the game, I just think it's really well done. And that's one thing that helps to propel that game forward more than I think a lot of other villains resonated for me uh, throughout the generation. Well, speaking of Persona 5, we did a whole show on video game soundtracks, even though it's not a particular interest <laughs> of my own. Best soundtrack from this console generation. Yeah, it's Final Fantasy VII Remake uh, with a bullet. I put P5 on there, Persona 5 on there, just because I thought it should get an honorable mention. But the soundtrack in Final Fantasy VII Remake, the things that they do with the mixing of the soundtrack throughout... Uh, is just phenomenal. Like it, it is, it is the high watermark of what soundtracks in video games should be moving forward. If you're a fan of Final Fantasy VII in any regard, whether or not you play the remake or not, you should listen to the soundtrack on Spotify because it is really remarkable. It feels very familiar, but also yes. very good. Yeah, yeah. They evolve it enough to make it its own thing on top of the great themes that they were in the original game. Next up, we're down to our last few categories here. Best new intellectual property of the last console generation. I I mean, I love mine. You can go ahead here, Burns. So I chose Ghost of Tsushima. That's uh, the game I enjoyed the most that was a new IP this generation. It had a lot going for it already because it's Samurai uh, in feudal Japan. And was really interesting to me based a little bit in history, a little bit in sort of more mystical types of things. So I really liked it. I think they did a good job with Jin Sakai, the main character. Uh, you really kind of empathize with him. They do some really good things with a lot of the other characters. I'm interested to see to what extent they would be able to make this a series or not. I haven't finished the game yet. There's maybe some other things that they could do with it, or they could just do another game in that, in that world but just a different time period or a different situation that's going on. Uh, but that would be my pick. How have you not finished this game? You loved it. You're deep into it. Like what, what's keeping you from crossing the finish line on it? So ultimately what happened is I started streaming and then a lot of my other side video game time has fallen away. And so it's really just been smaller experiences that I've been jumping into uh, when I haven't been streaming. And so that's what kind of, put the brakes on Ghost of Tsushima and I just haven't made it back. I I, I got through the first act, um, started act two. Um, I really want to get back into it uh, and see it through to the end, hopefully by the end of the year. Yeah, I barely got into that game at all, but visually very stunning, very mm -hmm. stylish. Uh, a lot of cutscenes early on and a lot of walking along the beach and fighting some guys as you're learning the basic controls, but... <laughs> <laughs> Also really good. Mine was more of an X-Files type feel. I chose Control, and I just adored this game. Charge called uh, Slay the Spire, his game of last year. He was wrong. It was Control. Control was awesome. <laughs> I'm not even a shooter fan, but it was so atmospheric and weird and like such a mind F. You didn't really know what was going on for sure. Like You didn't know if the main character was just crazy or what was going on or if these things were actually happening in our world. And 
a bunch of extra dimensional stuff and monsters and it just ah oh, it was so good and that is a very usually when I beat a game like I turn it off and I am done but with control I went back I'm like oh what else can I do what other side stuff is there what end game content is there and just control was phenomenal yeah I really want to check it out at some point especially with how much you've glowed about it yeah hopefully I didn't set the stage for failure because it's not a perfect game by any means but Man, I loved it. Also, there's one incredibly difficult point kind of two-thirds of the way through that almost made me give up on the game forever, but I'm glad I stuck it out. Well, that's good. When I got this list, I was looking at some other stuff, and, like, I just Googled, like, top ten, you know, top ten games from, from last generation, and that the list that I saw, the only one I read, it had, had control on there. So I don't think you're alone in that aspect. Though. Yeah, I won some Game of the Years, and some it seemed a little bit more polarizing than most. I think a lot of people who like shooters would be drawn more to something like Doom, where you have more different weapons, and it's a little more frenetic, but I don't know. It was quirky and weird, and I just super dug it. Sometimes a game will catch us off guard. What was our most surprisingly fun experience of this console generation? Casey, why don't you lead us off? Yeah, for me, it was No Man's Sky. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect going into it, really. Just a big, massive open world where you can do pretty much anything. And the funniest thing for, for that for me is that I can no longer make fun of people that play Animal Crossing because <laughs> I just thought that was the, the dumbest thing ever. And then I get into this game and it's just a giant sandbox where you can literally do anything. You know, you can kill animals, you can farm plants, you can mine, you can travel to just thousands and thousands of galaxies and explore those and do the same thing there. You can build houses. I mean, it's, it's, it's a crazy game and I'm, I'm glad I got to play it with somebody, uh, you know, like I, I don't know what it would be like playing it by yourself. I think it'd almost be like a very, like, it's very isolating. I, I, yeah. I was going to say very isolating. And like when you're playing with somebody, like I was playing with, with Tom and we weren't actually like, interacting all that much but just the fact that we were on the same planet and we could kind of like communicate while we were doing it I, I think made it a lot more enjoyable for me versus playing it alone where I think it would be I don't, I don't know more grindy then I don't know but. yeah it was definitely more fun with another human contact I played a few hours without you what I thought was funny is we have almost this infinite galaxy to explore and we get we get our ships and we get to the second planet and we set up our bases like right next to each other <laughs> And you need a lot of resources to do anything. Like you need a lot of blue crystals to make your rocket fuel or rocket ship fuel. And uh, Casey got there a little after me. So like I had stripped everything from around our base area. He's like, there's none of this carbon anywhere. I'm like, yeah, well, I had a couple hours. Yeah, it did, uh, it did make it a little more difficult. But th thankfully there's like the most massive universe ever created in a video game to, to still explore in that game. So... When we finally got our hyperdrives built and could blast off into further places away, we kind of went, took divergent paths. You went your own direction. It's like, oh, well, I'll probably never play this game again, but oh, it's like the end of an era. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, it'd probably be a while before I go back to it, too, but it, it, I think it might be one that I go back to. Also, Casey used one of his tools to make a huge F.U. Tom out of Earth. <laughs> Just like that, that was definitely fun. Billboard. <laughs> it was a funny moment. Burnsy, your surprisingly fun experience is a game that I've been intrigued by. I actually got an Xbox One so I could play 
the first game in this series, and I haven't played either ever. Yeah, so I chose Titanfall two, and I, I I I played it shortly after it launched. It was right around when it launched, and I'm not a I'm, I like first person shooters fine, but usually like the story is not interesting enough, or the gameplay just kind of gets you know ho hum as time goes on. But what I found with Titanfall two is the mixture of like how the platforming and the shooting works in it was a lot of fun. And then you combo that then with your mech combat and you kind of intersperse those things to, uh, together, which is really fun. But then on top of that, the level design as that game goes on is so interesting and so exciting. Like what they do in some of the different levels with time or with some of the other weapons that you get are just kind of mind bending. And the way that the levels are changing around you as you're trying to accomplish your goals is just really cool. And it's something I hadn't really seen a first person shooter do before or since. And so that's why it was my most surprisingly fun experience of the generation. I so have to check that game out. Mine yeah, came it's worth it. Mine came completely out of left field for me as I was downloading stuff off of Game Pass to try to fill up the big hard drive on the Xbox Series X. I came across UFC 3, and like I'm not a fan of the <laughs> UFC. Like mixed martial arts does nothing for me. I had played one UFC game in the past with some roommates. And I'm like, eh, this kind of sucks. It's not for me. But uh, I remember it getting favorable reviews, and so I just downloaded it on a whim. And then I get my PS5, and like I'm waiting for something to download or install. I'm like, well, I guess I have some time. I'll do something that won't grab my interest. I'll just mess around with UFC a little bit. And I created a fighter, and that was my entire gaming experience for the night. I played like four hours straight. (laughs) Just completely, completely hooked. And I couldn't believe it. Like, I sucked at the game. I was pretty bad. But the progression system is really interesting so like you have your fighter and you start in the ufc minor leagues and you have access to like your home gym so like to train you can literally run around your neighborhood or drink a protein shape or like jump rope and then as you advance your career you win some fights and then you get access to some different gyms and at the gyms you can you get so many points to upgrade your character in between fights like you can pay choose how many weeks you're going to pay for up to four weeks and each week you get 100 points to spend on different activities you can go and you can like uh learn some skill like you can uh, (laughs) not take steroids but like you can uh work on your footwork (laughs) or you can spar with an opponent or you can promote your fight like the promoting your fight thing is kind of funny because like you can start a uh a video game feed and spend time with your fans or like tweet about your upcoming fight and how meta yeah, and I'm like, oh, well, this is a bunch of bullshit. And so I never promoted my first character. I was always working on getting better moves or increasing his stats and getting better. And uh, it was so the progression was pretty interesting. And then you get into the octagon, and like I chose a brawler, so I had a lot of power. And I learned like it was so incredibly satisfying to drop a fool with a roundhouse kick to the head. Like he's just so (laughs) visceral and awesome. Like I'm really bad at it. And like, once I got past guys, I couldn't just knock the F out. I really flatlined. And then you have to, you keep earning these contracts and you have different side objectives to, uh, like fulfill. And if you do that, when your contract comes up, you get a better contract and you make more money and you unlock better gyms. But what I learned is if you don't promote yourself enough, you're not going to hit all those extra things. And then eventually if you don't win enough fights, they're going to retire your like here I am in my prime. I've got good stats. I've got a good move set and they retire me. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I was so attached to my character. Like he had a silver Mohawk and like, 
<sighs> it was I was just flabbergasted that they took the character out of my hands and like you go back and you try to load and like it saves after everything you do. So like like nope, you're retired. This character can't do anything. So That's just, awesome. Yeah, I had to start a new guy and like ugh, this sucks so hard. And so <laughs> I, I tried to do submissions and like I started out pretty good. I was like 15 and two. But uh, then I got to guys that, like, I couldn't hurt by striking, and they were better in the ground game ah. than me. And so, like, that career flatlined, too. Like, super popular, so I'm, like, still getting fights. I haven't been forced into retirement yet, but I've lost, like, four in a row, and I'm just getting mauled by, the, like, the top 15 ranked people in MMO. I don't know how long a tail UFC is going to have for me, because if I can't, uh, like, it's going to get to a point where I'm just not good enough to compete anymore, and that's kind of a bummer, and I'm not that interested in the sport, but... I mean, I've probably put 10-ish hours into just the campaign mode, and it's super-duper fun. Like, the progression is awesome, and just I cannot believe how much I've enjoyed this game. I mean, if you're going to play steroid soys, souls, you got to get good. <laughs> <laughs> Next, you got to go to Colorado and get some weed. Yeah, yeah. CBD get, oil just doesn't cut it anymore. And then get busted by Dana White and get suspended for a year. <laughs> I'm, I know who Dana White is now. He has some videos in the game. Anyways, I, I wanted to make time to talk about UFC because it just caught me completely off guard. This is kind of a fun one. Most surprisingly fun experience that was unfairly dunked on because of the core gameplay premise. Well, so I'll start because mine will be really quick. And it's Overwatch. And that's just because I dunked on it because I did not think that a game that was just a multiplayer game was going to be worth $60. And I have probably played that in that's in the top five of the amount uh time played in a game that i have uh with the last generation so overwatch is fantastic i went with death stranding <laughs> yes I, I told you it was good tom i'm just past the prologue and it is uh it's quirky and weird and stylish and like i'm really interested in what's going on in this world like it's so much more than just delivering packages from a to b I refuse to believe it's anything more than just that. <laughs> the rain makes you age, dude. Like, the rain is a mortal enemy. It's called mm -hmm. time fall. Yes. Yep. If you get hit with the water in the rain, it, it, it ages you. You can't do that. I mean, I can feel the Kojima-ness of it, and, like, I don't consider myself a big Kojima fan, but, man, I I can't wait to get into this game more. I totally missed something from earlier, too. Also, you guys are laughing, like, Am I on fire? What's happening? Well, no, it's just, you know, I'm not a huge Kojima fan. And then I look at best hey, game hey, of the generation. Hey, 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 <laughs> hey, we'll get there. Before we get to best game of the generation, I totally missed the most immersive experience. I noticed that. I didn't know if you were skipping ahead for time, but I, no, I, I, I noticed that. No, it's just a big long list of stuff and I missed one on it. For me, it was Red Dead Redemption. I know this game was a year cup of tea, Joey. We talked about it earlier, like... I just loved it. Like, I was completely enthralled. And, like, this is, if I had to give up all other games and just focus on one for the next several months, it would be Red Dead. You just like getting your Johnson knocked around in the tub. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say it. that I don't enjoy that, but uh, <laughs> I haven't really gotten there in the game yet. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what a deep cut that is. I hope that I hope there are fans that enjoyed that reference. <laughs> Red Dead, like if you're into the cowboy fantasy, like it it is just a phenomenal game. And yeah, it's maybe slower paced for some, but for me, like 
I just I enjoyed riding my horse around to get from point A to point B. I didn't think it took that long to get to what I was doing next. Like when I played Grand Theft Auto Four, that's the one with Nico, right? Yeah, yep. I thought that was very tedious getting from mission to mission. I didn't get that deep into Red Dead, but from where I did get with my time with the game, like it didn't seem that cumbersome for me to get to one thing, except for when my god horse died and I didn't know that like I could just spawn another one. So like I was trying to tame another horse in the wild and that sucked. And like I, that was a very frustrating moment in that game for me. But overall it was my most, ex- most immersive experience and just, just a phenomenal game. So my most immersive experience is in a completely different way, but it was, it was immersive in and of itself. Uh, but Tetris effect, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan also of like music games, rhythm games, uh, and Tetris effect is that weird mix of the music and the rotating of the tetranomos and the dropping of them, like all adds to the music. It's really interesting because the soundtrack's really fun. But if you actually listen to the soundtrack on soundtrack on like YouTube or something like that, the soundtrack sucks because a lot of the music is created by turning the the Tetris pieces and dropping them and creating the lines and creating the Tetrises and. and so much of how it evolves is kind of kind of like predicated on you interacting with the music, which is so awesome. And then when you put headphones on and then you put it in VR, you are just enwrapped in that music and it you connect to it on a different level because you're affecting it and impacting it as you're playing it. And it's just so phenomenal. Like some of the songs in that, game are in my head still constantly to this day just because of like how you're interacting with it you become you become one with the music um as well as the tetris pieces so tetris effect by far um my most immersive experience did you play completely in vr do you think it would have the same appeal and same immersion factor just on a screen I played through the entire game a couple of times without VR before I ever played it in VR so uh, the big thing is just a headphone headphones and then like just you and the TV screen basically uh, is plenty fine for me because the music, when you put the headphones on just completely like envelops you and, and then it's the actual gameplay connecting to how you're adding and changing the music uh, I think adds to it. And the effects on the screen are, are really good at just sort of drawing you in. Um, And as you drop the Tetris pieces, it'll bring up flares in the screen of different things happening depending upon like what the music is and sound effects along with it. It's, it's really cool. So even if you don't have VR, I think it's still recommended. And that is one of the Xbox series X launch games is Tetris effect connected, which is the multiplayer variant um, with it, which is exclusive to the series X until next year. I'll have to check it out. Here we go. Best game of the generation. I said, I'm not a Kojima guy. Like, (laughs) I hadn't prior to this <laughs> prior to this generation I hadn't played a Metal Gear since like Solid like I that and that was the only other Kojima game I had played Metal Gear Solid 5 I played it to get ready for a show with Brian which I think was OIO episode 3 and it was mm-hmm. just it was phenomenal I think it's the best game that's ever made like it is graphically stunning mission design is phenomenal the world is great you have lots of different ways that you can approach things you have lots of different tools at your disposal you can uh shoot animals with a dart and tranquilize them and then airlift them to your base you can do that with soldiers too but for some reason i was fascinated doing it with the wildlife (laughs) (laughs) i was playing in front of phoenix and she's like why did you shoot the dog 
Oh, no, he's in my base. No, he's my buddy. Anyways, <laughs> I thought Metal Gear Solid Five set a high watermark for games, and you know we've talked about a lot of awesome experiences in the two plus hours that we've been doing this. For me, Metal Gear Solid Five is the best, best of this generation. Burns, nice. what was your That's inferior awesome. choice? Yeah, yeah. So my choice is God of War, and l- like I said earlier. Like it probably is my best narrative of the generation. Uh, my favorite character is probably what they've done with Kratos in it because they took this character that was so one note and so just like just oozing steroids and machismo, and, you know, and machismo, and, and just like turned the character on his head and giving him a a, a son to care for and like a a purpose that is a little bit different than what his purpose was, was just vengeance constantly throughout the world. And then still having to deal with his past and how he's doing that. And then kind of the links, cause it's a lot of, it's like the links that a father will go to for his son is what a lot of that game is. And not that I can relate to that in my life. Cause I've abandoned all my children, but uh, <laughs> kidding. That's a joke. I don't have any children, but <laughs> that you're aware of <laughs> that I'm aware of. Yeah. Uh, you don't but, know what the soft finish has produced. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But it's just it's the, from it's just so stunning what they were able to do with that, and then how they evolved the combat, and how interesting and immersive the combat is, and the decisions they made with like you have the one view the entire game, and you're kind of locked into that over the shoulder view, and then they like maximize kind of the benefits of having that view as well as the difficulties. And it gets difficult at times. Like there's sometimes where you get hitting hit from all directions. And in that way, it kind of is like a dark souls ish sort of game in which you have to get really good at being aware of what's around you and what's the best option for you to get out of that. Sometimes it's blocking and dodging. Sometimes it's just more aggression in one direction and then coming back. And I just, it was such an enthralling game uh, and, and a good single player story and a different take on North's mythology, uh, which is kind of blown up already um, recently anyway. And so it, it was just so phenomenal and so much fun. And I'm so excited to see what Ragnarok is going to do. And, and yeah, it's just hands above anything else I played on the PS4 um, or the switch or the PC uh, in the last seven years. It's fascinating. I I played God of War. I loved it as well. I would have ranked it as the third best game in 2017. I mean, I love Spider-Man. I'll always have a bias towards Spider-Man, so there's that. And I loved Red Dead. What an awesome year for gaming that was to have those three amazing titles, two of which were exclusive to the PlayStation 4. Yep. No, it's it's like really when you look at it, like the PS4 is one of the most – Well, and I guess this may be a little dovetail into our next uh, topic, Uh, but the PS4 was one of the highest selling consoles of all time and deservedly so. Like what they did to support that console was phenomenal. And God of War was a lot of that. And it's amazing. It was very, very good. So what is the console winner for this generation? Burns, you're a horrible troll. I'm going to just say it. It's the PlayStation 4. It had the best experiences. It was the best. (laughs) PlayStation 4 wins. Bernsey, what would you like to propose? The PS4 wins. I put the Switch on the dock just to see your reaction to it, (laughs) Um, especially after my Twitter post where I said, I don't think the Switch counts as being a part of this generation. 
<laughs> yeah, no, the PS4 is a phenomenal system. It's probably my favorite console of all time. Uh, part of that just sort of dovetails in that I've been playing a lot more games now than I have since I was like a kid. But just the amount of experiences that I've had on this just far overshadow cumul- from a cumulative standpoint what I've had on other consoles. And I'm sure the Xbox uh, One One X and One, the Xbox One is fine, but the PS4, they had themselves a generation. And, and made the right decisions. Uh, next gen, Game Pass might be what carries things back over towards Xbox being the best. I mean, ultimately, I don't know if we'll be able to pick a best of next gen just because they're playing two different games. Like, there's a good chance that PS5 could succeed at being the most sold console of that generation. And then Microsoft could succeed at having everybody use Game Pass and they both win the console generation. And so, because they're really kind of going at two different ends of the spectrum now. I wonder if we've reached the point where there's no longer going to be a winner of a console generation. I mean, I have room on my shelf for two consoles. I mean, it, I love them both. I want great experiences on both. And I just want to be able to play the best games in like the best resolution on my sweet TV. Yeah, I, I think that's a lot of it. And then that's what's so interesting about what Nintendo is doing with the Switch. And I know I beg on Nintendo and I beg on the Switch a lot. But in the past five months, I've played the Switch probably equally as my PS4. There's lots of good stuff on the Switch. The Switch's versatility is amazing. The thing is, is Nintendo is just playing in a different... They're playing in their own realm. Like, the Switch is the system that you have on top of your PS5 or your Xbox Series X or S. Like... The Switch is going to be one, it's probably going to be more popular than the PS4 just because everybody's going to own a Switch and their current gen platform. Uh, I think that's definitely the direction Nintendo's going because their games don't necessarily need to be in 4K, 120 hertz, like breathtaking visuals. Like nobody needs to see <sighs> Mario in that detail. <laughs> like nobody, <laughs> nobody wants to see that monster in that detail. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree, and like I love being able to play good games on the go. Like I can't always get to my PS4. Like uh, I don't have a TV in my bedroom, so like if I'm going to play something a little bit before bed, like I love having my Switch to play some Animal Crossing or some Paper Mario. Mm-hmm. Before we close out here, Burnsy, you did some cataloging of how many games you've played on this console generation. Why don't you uh, tell us how nutty you are, my friend? Games that were specifically for the PlayStation Four or PlayStation Four generation, not cross generation. I played 100 and ranked. I ranked them all, too. 198 games. Not played. I did not count them, but there is a lot of unplayed games. Uh, I've had 19 remasters, uh, 12 cross-gen games, so games that were out on PS3 and PS4, um, 14 VR games. Then it looks like about 10 VR games I haven't played yet. And now I have three PS5 games. (laughs) So, yeah, and it was an interesting experience going through and ranking things. Just quickly, my top five games of the generation. Number one, God of War. Number two, Yakuza 0. I love that game so much. Number three, Life is Strange. Number four, Final Fantasy 14. Number five, Persona 5. Bottom five? (laughs) Well, the bottom one for sure is The Quiet Man. Most terrible game ever. Uh, And then I have a lot of earlier PS4 games. Blacklight Retribution, which was a free-to-play game that sucked terribly. Drive Club, which was a racing game that sucked terribly. Uh, Ho Hokum, which I don't know. I think it just ended up there because it was a pretty meh experience. And then War Thunder, which I thought I would like because it's like tanks and ships. 
like World War II world and like current gen like era type stuff, but it was stupid. It's free to play garbage. I hate it. So those are my bottom five games. I've heard of one of those games. Casey, do you have any closing thoughts on this console generation before we move on to the Xbox Series X in your near future? Just that I wish I would have played more games. I mean, not that I didn't enjoy the things that I was doing instead of playing the games. You know, obviously spending time with my children is equally important. And, you know, I probably watched a little bit more TV than, than I probably should have. I mean, there's a heck of a lot of good shows out there that I'm enjoying, but um, yeah, I, I've definitely missed out on a lot of titles and uh, listening to you guys talk about some of them. It's, it's something that uh, I can't wait to dive into uh, now that, you know, we have the Xbox one and then hopefully are getting the series X. So lots to look forward to. Yeah. We're thrilled to have you become more involved with the show. I think having you do game pass forever with me every month is going to be, Really great. Joey, your closing thoughts on the console generation? No, it was fantastic. I mean, I, I love a lot of the games that I played um, this gen. Um, like, if I look at, like, my top 20 games, it's just, like, so many of them were so phenomenal. And I'm really looking forward to see that the PlayStation 5 does a lot of that as well. And so, yeah, I don't know. Man, it's gaming, there's never been, as Vinny Caravella on Giant Bob says, uh, all the time. There's never been a better time to be a gamer. And I think that is a hundred percent true right now. Absolutely. There you have it, folks. Our love letter to the PlayStation four and the Xbox one. What a tremendous generation of consoles. What a great time to be a gamer. We are joined now by industry vet Sam Charchian, who spent over 15 years at Microsoft and PlayStation. Sam was kind enough to do an interview with OIO a couple of years ago where we talked about working for both corporations and his experience and his work on Xbox Live. Uh, and Sam, it's great to have you back. We spent a couple of hours talking about video games this show and saying goodbye to the Xbox One and PlayStation 4 generation. And we're thrilled to get your thoughts on this era in gaming. Thanks, Tom. Happy to be here and help out. Let's start off with the games. What were some of your favorite games from this generation of gaming? Well, there are so many great games this gen. Um, I feel like the industry's really come to, man, it feels like this this generation, we've really come so far. Um, the image quality of the games and just the gameplay, there's so much variety out there. There's indies that are really thriving. Like, it's never been a better time. This generation has just been, I think, phenomenal for gamers, the industry, everybody. It's just been really, really a great time uh, for the industry. So um, for me, I, you know, I, I love so many games, but if I had to boil it down to like my top five for this gen, um, I think if I'm start, I'm, I'm, I guess not in any really particular any order, but I would say Diablo three really stands out to me as a standout for this gen for a couple of reasons. One is that it's great to see Blizzard making console games. I mean, what a great. What a great transition. They're such a phenomenal world-class developer. They bring the best products. They don't ship anything unless it's like the best game ever made, practically. Their track record's unbeatable. So getting that whole ethos into the console world has just been a huge win for us. So I just just on the merits of having Blizzard there, I love Diablo um, just for that. I think it's also interesting the evolution of Diablo 3 because Blizzard makes incredible games, but that was a little bit rough at launch with the auction house and some of the other issues they yeah. had. The way they smoothed it out and brought it to the console and made it such a great couch co-op experience is really remarkable, and I thought it was the best co-op game of this entire generation. 
Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. It is it has just been great. And by the time it made it to console, I feel like they had kind of ironed out some of the quirks, like the auction house stuff. I actually kind of liked the auction house, but it was obviously a bit of a disaster. But it was still sort of fun. Uh, so I, I really like that. I had a, I personally had a lot to do with uh, bringing Diablo to consoles, uh, and there's there's actually a long story behind that. If we ever want to get into it, um, either in this podcast or another one, um, we can go through that. It's a pretty cool story. But oh, absolutely, um, we would love to hear it. Great, yeah, hit me up anytime, or we could do it later in this on this uh, this call if you'd like. Um, so anyway, I, I love Diablo, love the team, love Blizzard, great place, uh, great game, and like you said, same same couch co-op was fantastic. Uh, so, and I just hope we don't have to wait another 10 or 12 years to get another Diablo <laughs> no like doubt. we did between two and three. All right. So next up for me would be, uh, destiny two, just because I think, again, I love co-op games. And so playing with my friends and destiny is really tuned for as a, uh, you know, play with your friends kind of game, a co-op game. And I just, and I think it's great. And I'm a long time Bungie fan. I worked with Bungie for years. I love halo. Uh, and for me, Destiny is Halo. Halo is no longer Halo. Destiny is Halo. If you loved Halo, you should be playing Destiny. Because, um, you know, 343 has done an okay job with the franchise, but it's just not the same magic that Brungie brings to the table, in my opinion. Um, so anyway, that's, uh, yeah, so Diablo 3, Destiny 2. And the main one that I absolutely love uh, for this generation, I think is probably the best game of all time. And I say that with a little bit of hesitation because there's, you know, obviously really great competition there, but... The game I've loved and logged the most hours on and still play after five years almost every day is The Binding of Isaac. Uh, I would not have guessed that with a hundred guesses for your game of the console generation. Yeah, I, I'm even going further than that and saying I think it's the best game ever made. I mean, I really think it's that good of a game. That's, and, high, that's high praise. I haven't played it myself. What am I missing out on? Oh, man. Okay, so the reason it doesn't have as big a following as uh, as it really deserves, and it does have a huge following of really hardcore fans, it's because it's a really weird game, and the magic of the game doesn't reveal itself to you until you've put about a good two or three hours in. And then suddenly it clicks and you go, oh, my God, this game is so much more than it appears to be. Um, because it, it at first glance, it appears to be just a sort of twin-stick shooter, sort of Robotron-style um, with some Legend of Zelda sort of uh, mechanics and feel to it. and um, But it has it has like 500 different items that you can pick up in the game, and they all do crazy things and interact with each other. So every time you play it, you end up with a really different game, practically. I mean, the whole rules of the gameplay are sort of turned upside down every time you pick up an item. So you could have things like, you know, your, your main character, it's got a really weird theme, and that's actually a little bit of a turnoff. You play as a baby that's sort of hiding from his mom in the basement. <laughs> huh. so, and it's got really crude stuff. There's piles of poop and there, you know, it's that whole theme is a little bit weird and off putting. Um, and that's not my favorite thing about the game at all, but the gameplay is fantastic. So what you do is you shoot tears. You're actually crying and shooting tears as you play. Um, but you can pick up items that'll like turn your tears into lasers. And then you pick up another item that'll make them homing lasers. And then, you know, you can drop bombs and you can find hidden rooms and you, you know, it's just, the whole thing is just, it turns itself upside down and crazy, you know, half the time you play it. And it's just a blast. It's super, super fun because it's so unpredictable and every run is so unique from the next. The Binding of Isaac as the greatest game of all time. You heard it on Outside is Overrated first. My choice mm -hmm. for the greatest game ever was Metal Gear Solid Five, which I didn't even, maybe wasn't the most enjoyable game that I've ever played, but I love the mission structure. I loved yeah. how they put it together. I love the base building. I thought there was just... I thought that was a high watermark for games. Yeah, it's a sol it's a really good game, obviously, yeah. So 
So yeah, I, I would encourage everyone who's listening. Go. I mean, Binding of Isaac is relatively inexpensive, and uh, it's on every platform, including the Switch. And it's just it's just a masterpiece of. Uh, and it's an indie game, basically made by one guy, Edmund McMillan. He also made uh, Super Meat Boy, and he's put out a few other games since then. But Binding of Isaac is truly his masterpiece, and it is a true work of art in gameplay. That's awesome. I'm gonna have to check it out. Did you want to talk any more about games, or should we move on to the consoles themselves? Um, I'm going to throw two more out there really quick yeah. just to give them a little bit of a, of, of a plug. I love Neon Chrome. Again, another uh, twin stick co-op game. And the other one I'm still playing all the time, it's actually a PC game, mostly is Slay the Spire. Love that game. I've got hundreds of hours into it, and it's just brilliant. The Charchians love Slay the Spire. Oh, did my brother mention it too? Oh, he called it his game of the year for 2018. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, he, um, uh, he's, right. talk- he's the one who turned me on to it, so I guess it makes sense. He's turned a lot of people on to it, and I agree. It's a super fun game. I love the deck building. and yep. Game of the year for, just felt a little hyperbolic, though. I liked Control a little bit more in 2018. Oh, solid, yeah. So you've worked for both Microsoft and for PlayStation. Where do your console allegiances lie? Oh, man, this is a really tough one for me because, I mean, I worked on Xbox from the beginning in 2001 up through um, just before the Xbox One launch. So like 2012, I left. Um, and it was such a great, I have so many great memories of that. I feel like I got my, my industry start on that team. Um, we built, you know, from the X, the original Xbox, which I hate, I can't call it the Xbox one because they reused that name. It drives me crazy. <laughs> but the, from the original Xbox, um, we built from kind of nothing and it was, you know, we were, we got just slaughtered by the PS2 and we came back so strong with Xbox live and the Xbox 360 and we fought our way up to the top. And that whole process was so rewarding and fun. And the people there were great. Uh, so I have so much love for Xbox. It's really hard to, uh, to overstate how much I just love the brand, the people, um, everything about it. Um, but ultimately, you know, they, I feel like they really screwed up the Xbox one really, really hard with their connect and the pricing and the underpowered GPU. And when I went to that time, um, the PS4 was just killing it. I mean, it was such a great machine. Uh, so they and they had all the momentum behind them. So it's, I love both, and I kind of love both for different reasons. Microsoft's really, really great at software, and Xbox Live is like just a masterpiece. But Sony really has hardware figured out. Like they make a better piece of hardware in general than Microsoft does. So I love them both. I love them both for different reasons. They're both extremely competent machines. I don't want to see either one of them fail or anything like that. I they're. You know, I, I just, I love it all. They're all great. I love the Switch, too. So I, <laughs> I, I just want to play great games, right? I don't really care that much about uh, the platforms. But right now, I am a PS4 guy. Um, and I, I'm, I don't have a PS5 yet, but it's coming next week. So oh, I'll that's be there awesome. Soon. Congratulations. And I don't have an Xbox coming yet. So I haven't even started hunting for one. So I guess right now, my allegiances are with PlayStation. I was lucky enough to get both the new consoles at launch. So far, I've played the Series X a little bit more. Uh that for whatever hmm. reason, downloading my library onto the PlayStation 5 has taken exponentially longer. So I've been playing a lot of stuff on Game Pass. I stumbled across UFC 3 of all things. I'm not a UFC fan. Oh. I'm not, uh, I never thought that I'd enjoy it, but I remember reading a favorable review. I was waiting for something else to download, and I'm like, I'll try it out. And turns out it's awesome. It's super fun. Really? Yeah. That's exciting. I didn't know. Yeah, I was completely surprised by it. Are you Are you seeing any difference in, in image quality between the two this generation? No, not really. I mean, games already looked just amazing on both the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One. Like, I played Doom Eternal on both Xbox One and Series X recently. Like, the load times were a lot better, but, I mean, visually, they look 
identical to me. They look gorgeous yeah. on both platforms. Right. I'm really glad to hear you say that because it does feel to me like we've been chasing image quality in games for you know, the entire time I've been in the industry since 2001. That's been the holy grail. Let's make the games look better. Um, and I feel like, you know, with the, with PS4 and Xbox One, games look great. And like we're really deep into diminishing returns on just how good games look. And is it worth it to really chase image quality that hard anymore? Or are you better off spending your development time and rendering budget on other things? So it's uh, it's it's good to hear you say that because it's uh, it's it isn't surprising to me. And I'm kind of glad to hear that's the way things are trending. Yeah, it's hard to imagine things looking better than they do right now. Right. That's absolutely true. You mentioned how much Microsoft stumbled with the launch of the Xbox One. And in our interview earlier, you talked about their fateful E3 debacle where they were talking about TVs and anything but games. Do you think they yeah. ever recovered from those missteps? Do you think they had a strong showing in the Xbox One generation? Um, I think, you know, they recovered about as well as they could. And they and it took them, like, really turning over some executive staff and Xbox um, and really changing how they think about it. I think really Phil Spencer deserves a lot of credit for that because uh, he came in and really refocused on games. And he came out of Microsoft Game Studios. So he was, uh, when I worked at Microsoft Game Studios, he was basically running the studios and he was in charge of all the games. Uh, so he's a game guy in his heart. And um, he, I think he did the right things as best he could to try and recover. It, it's, And I have to tell you, having been both with the original Xbox, us being in second place behind Sony, and then on 360 with us leading, it's really hard to go from second place and come back out on top. Just that uphill battle with trying to get developers to care about your console, um, trying to get uh, agreements with them to do exclusive content for you is really hard because they don't want to give up the sales on the leading console to do something exclusively for you. Um, they're going to build their game and tune it specifically to whoever's whoever's leading. They want to build. So everyone in the game studio, when they're building, I'd walk into a developer studio when I'm working with a developer. And in the early days, they were all leading their development on PlayStation because that was their audience. It was a bigger audience. And on 360, we'd walk in and every developer has a 360 dev kit at their, at their uh, desk. So, I mean, that's what you want to see, right? And it's hard to come back. If you're in second place, it's really, really hard to get the momentum back in your favor and shift the industry. So um, I think they did a great job. Um, it was really sad because I feel like the missteps they made leading up to the launch of Xbox One were just so obviously wrong. And everyone in the industry was telling us when we would talk to them, you guys are really fumbling this generation. Uh, Sony's going to just kick your butts and you need to re, you know, you need a different GPU and you need to get that connect out of the box. And you need to drop your price. And, and they were absolutely right. And it became really apparent that they were right. Um, but we did, we had too much ego and hubris to really hear that feedback coming off of 360. And boy, did that bite us hard. The connect. Just the connect. The connect. Yeah. You worked on Xbox live from its inception. You've been yes. away from Microsoft from a little for a little while now, how has Xbox Live changed from your observation? Um, well, I know, I mean, behind the scenes, it's, I know that they've, you know, I mean, I'm more of a tech guy and I know behind the scenes, it's basically been rewritten from the ground up. Um, and a lot of that was Bungie's doing in the early days. Like we, we originally made Xbox Live, launched it in 2002. And then a year later, Halo 2 came out and that was like the premier Xbox Live experience. It was really the first game that was built 
really four great multiplayer console games. The other ones had multiplayer, but it didn't have like party systems. It wasn't as fancy. Like Bungie came in and said, we're going to do this right. And they invented a whole bunch of new stuff. But live couldn't handle any of it. Like we weren't designed to do any of the stuff they wanted us to be able to do. Uh, so it took a lot of work and basically rebuilding huge swaths of Xbox Live just for Halo 2. Um, since then, I don't know that a whole lot has conceptually changed. Um, the underlying feature set of like leaderboards and matchmaking and presence and sign in and um, you know joins and invites and all those things that are around that, all those features are still there and they're still core and. I don't know that there's been a lot around that. I'm sure the store and the marketplace has evolved tremendously because publishers are always coming up with clever new ways to sell content. And if you own this piece, you get this price on something else. And you can't buy this unless you have that. And like all these esoteric rules that you don't necessarily think of when you're building something like a store um, start coming into play as developers make these requests. And it becomes it becomes really, really like far more complicated than you would expect on the outset when you're designing something like that. Uh, so I'm sure the store has evolved tremendously, uh, but I don't really have any insight into what that is um, at current, what it looks like. And as a gamer, it's not really that exciting to us anyway. Um, we just want stuff to work. Um, we want the, the pricing to be sensible and uh, you know, that we want to enjoy our games. That's really it. So I, I don't know that it's really underlying as far as gamers are concerned. have really changed that much. I mean, have you, have you observed anything yourself that you think, has been a, a sizable change from the online service offerings? For me, not really. I spent most of the last generation playing on PlayStation. I didn't really get into the Xbox One until really towards the end of its life cycle in the last year or so because of Game Pass. And most yeah. of my friends have migrated over to PlayStation. So I, my own use of live is extremely limited over the last few years. It was a much bigger thing for me in college in the early 2000s when it first launched. I remember playing Halo 2 with my roommates and being able to hook up with other guys in the fraternity and just how big a deal that was for us. Yeah, that was great. And I can tell you one thing that really has changed in online, um, especially from the Xbox side, is the ability to do uh, cross-platform. So when I was there during the 360 era and we were just crushing it, you know, there was still a lot of pressure from our developers and the community to do cross-platform play and let people play, you know, PC, PlayStation. They, they wanted everything wide open. And, and, it's, and it's easy to understand why, because that's what gamers want. Like, they don't want to have to be segmented across their friend groups and, and so on. But we would just, we would almost laugh at it, like, why would we ever do that? We've got this huge community of online gamers, and why would we want to give Sony, who has a much smaller community, why would we want to give their players access to our huge community? If they want to play in our community, they should buy an <laughs> Xbox and come play in our community and pay us to do that. And it, on, from a business perspective, it absolutely made sense. And we were like, we would never open this up for cross-play. But then with the Xbox One, when they're suddenly losing to Sony, they're like, oh, of course we'll do X, we'll do uh, cross-play. What do we care, right? And so uh, it's funny that they suddenly seem so generous with that, but it's really just the market demands and where they're positioned uh in the industry as far as uh, you know, leading and being in second or third place. You mentioned that you have the PlayStation 5 coming in the next week. What are some of mm -hmm. the things you're excited for with this next generation of console hardware? Um, you know, for me, it's, we already touched on this a little bit, but image quality, I feel like we're just diminishing returns, right? And ray tracing is great, and it's really cool tech. I don't know that it's really worth it yet in this gen to turn that on. I think we're going to learn really quickly if that's something that's worth having in the game or not, because it is extraordinarily expensive on the GPU. So you're going to have to give up something. You're not going to get ray tracing for anywhere near free. Um, so 
we'll see if it's worth it or not. I think next next gen, uh, you know, the PlayStation Six or whatever will be. Uh, we're going to see some ray tracing there happening in every game. But for now, I don't know about that, and I don't know that I really care that much. Again, the games look so so great. Um, I really I think the biggest change this gen is going to be in the streaming, the capability for it to stream off the super fast hard drives they're putting in these boxes. Um, and we've been fighting load times forever, and it's been a huge, huge thorn in our side. You know, as as the media speeds up, like with the original Xbox, it would take, you know, 30 seconds to a minute to get a game loaded and ready to play. And we had to force developers through, um, you know, basically through our certification requirements to make those load times as fast as they could. And they had to come in under certain time limits or else we literally wouldn't let them ship on the console. Huh. Um, yeah, like we had requirements that were like, you have to be at, an, the game has to be at an interactive state from the moment they put the disc in until you, the user has an interactive state that has to be under, I think it was like 30 seconds and developers had to really fight it because, you know, back then the, the CD media or DVD media just wasn't that fast on the flip side. We only had a few megs of memory to fill. So, um, you didn't have that much data to stream in. And, you know, but it still took, you know, getting down to 30 seconds even would be a real challenge. And with 360, it was kind of the same thing. It was like, okay, so the media is a lot faster, but we've got way more memory to fill. So, you know, you ended up with the same kind of load times, uh, you know, because it just, they both scaled up the speed of the drive and the amount of memory scaled. So again, you're at that 30 seconds and developers had to fight really hard to get in at 30 seconds or so. And so um, here we are at this gen and it's we've got a, we've got a bit more memory, but man, the media is so fast that, you know, instead of what used to take a minute might now take two seconds. I mean, it's almost instantaneous. And, and you, I guess you've experienced this. Are you are you feeling like the load times are just sort of gone or are, are hugely dis diminished? They're not gone, but they are so much better. Doom Eternal was a great example of this. Because Doom Eternal, either you die a lot or maybe I'm just not very good at the game. But Doom Eternal had like about a minute and a half to reload a checkpoint. It is down to 5 to 10 seconds on the Series X. It is just wow. phenomenal how much faster it is. Like it was a real immersion shattering thing It's on the Xbox One because I die and I'm like, oh, got to reload. All right, check my phone, check Twitter. Um, right. <laughs> have a little time to fill. And now it's like I died. Darn it. Jump back in and here we go again. Right. It's just, uh, it's phenomenal. And it, and I am it is a bit of a game changer, right? And and then the other side of that, it's not just load times. It's all the streaming content. We have so many games that are just, you know, they're streaming content as you move through the world. And I think probably every gamer has run into the experience where you've outrun the streamer, uh, the game's ability to stream content. And either you're like, the game will literally just halt in front of you or all of your assets will de-res to the point where like, you know, buildings are just these chunky blocks. You, I'm sure you've seen this, right? Like, mm -hmm. We've outrun the outrun the ability for the game the game console to keep up with your demands on the new con new content streaming into memory, and so I think that's going to be gone. You're going to be able to rip through worlds really really fast if you want to. You know, Rockstar I'm sure will make absolute you know great use of this kind of feature. Um, and anyone doing open world games as well are going to we're going to see some really different experiences in in those kinds of open world games, uh, and I'm, I am looking forward to that and seeing what happens there. Me too. I can't wait to play them all. Right. I I'd love to hear some more of your stories from the industry. You uh, teased one as we were setting up this interview that I'm very intrigued by, the time to penis story. Yes, this is a famous story. I've told it many times. Um, I don't know that I've done it in like a podcast. I think I've only done it in writing. Um, so <laughs> this is around 2010. We just I worked on all the Call of Duty games, um, both for Xbox and PlayStation. So I was really deeply embedded with that team. 
And one of the things that was really, really frustrating for us was all of the hackery that happened around their their game. So we'd ship the game. The, the poor development team would absolutely crunch themselves to death and they'd be dying. Uh, the game would launch in November. And then by Christmas, their game would have all of these horrible hacks happening in it. And um, the, the development teams that really needed a rest would be forced back into the studio to try and address um, how, to, how to deal with the hackers. And the hackers were so good and so meticulous and so like their capabilities, things I would think that would no way be possible um, from a security perspective, they were able to get around. What kind of um, things and, were they able to do? Oh, man, it's crazy. So they they would be able to, they had reverse engineered enough of the game that they and understood how the game functioned at a very, very low level that they could make it so that if you got into a session with one of these hackers and they were in the game with you, if they did something as innocuous as shoot you with one bullet, it would reset all of your progress in the game. All of your, like you may have prestiged and played hundreds of hours. It would reset you back to zero. Why would you do and, that to somebody? <laughs> well, here's why. They would then after the session, send that person a message and say, you're going to pay us $30 and we'll reset your progress or you're just screwed. Oh my God. And so they would literally extort the player. So I mean, this is literally illegal and, um, it, it turned into a real nightmare and, you know, we'd be working with Activision's legal counsel because we would be, they would be subpoenaing um, information about who these users were off of our back end, like billing services. We could figure out who they were and where, you know, where they lived. And they were so sophisticated. I mean, just knowing what I know about the security of Xbox, how they got around some of our challenges and the things they had to do to pull that off is a technical marvel. I mean, the brain power behind this is remarkable. And this is what they're choosing to do with it. Yeah, is they're trying to get players in Call of Duty. 30 bucks off a player in Call of Duty. Like with that kind of skill, like shouldn't you be working for Microsoft or working for some yes. other big company working to set a yes. shadow run? Like that's just. It's insane. Mind boggling. It, 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 it is mind-boggling, and it really would. And it wasn't a small thing. Like they would then share their tech with other people, and other people would be doing the same thing. And some people wouldn't be doing it for money; they would be doing it just to screw with people. Um, and of course, they would also use it for cheating in the game as well, because they could make that same bullet do an infinite amount of damage. So you know, they could shoot you in the foot, and you would instantly die. And and so it really screwed with the game, and it caused all kinds of headaches. And this happened every every year. And so it finally came to a head where we were just so frustrated. And I was sort of the go-between because I was working with Call of Duty and I was inside Xbox. And so I was sort of the guy sitting in the middle between the two teams. And it, it came to a point where we were like, okay, we need to have your security team at Activision come and meet with our security team at Xbox. And let's really get our heads around how we can work together and put an end to this absolute madness. And so they ended up flying in like, you know, five or six guys. And uh, we spent, we booked an entire day with our security team to discuss you know, how we could work together better and more effectively to shut this stuff down. And so, you know, we, we did what you'd expect. We had meetings all day. And at lunchtime, we had lunch catered in and we're sitting around the conference room. And it was just sort of a casual time for us to discuss, you know, kind of introduce ourselves to each other and just talk shop and just like blow off steam a little bit because it had been a sort of stressful, tech-heavy meeting. And so we're going around the room. People are talking about what they do. And um, on the Xbox security team, there's this gal. She's like, 25 years old and she's like we're, she's saying well what i do all day is i play uno and we're like what what uno why are you playing uno all day and she goes well you know uno's got the camera it's it's like our first it was our first game on xbox 360 that supported the camera on xbox live and she's like so uno supports the camera and so everyone's like hmm 
do I want to ask the question that that is now pending in my mind? And she goes, and she could kind of see no one wanted to ask, and the room kind of fell silent. And she goes, well, she goes, yeah, you know, sometimes guys whip it out. And we're like, really? And she's like, yeah, we've got a bit of a problem with that, where, you know, dudes are kind of whipping it out while they're playing Uno. And we're like, really, an Uno of all things? Like, this is the most family-friendly game you can imagine. And people are, like, you know, whipping it out while they're playing Uno. And we're like, okay. I, I can understand why you have to do this all day, but like, really, is it happening that often? And mind you, this is she, you know, this is just a normal-looking, you know, regular, average-looking, you know, 20-year-old, 25-year-old woman, and she goes, "Yeah, my average time to penis is about 15 minutes." We're like, "Oh my God, people are whipping it out that often!" And and I'm like, "Are you?" are you like dressing scantily? Are you saying anything to them? Are you doing something to provoke this? And she goes, absolutely not. She says, I dress as normally as I can. My microphone is turned off. I just sit there and play Uno quietly and just wait for somebody to do that. And about every 15 minutes, somebody does. And then I have to ban them. If there are other people in the chat playing the game with us who I think are children, we report it to the authorities um, so that they can take action against them if they need to. And it's just, it was just absolute madness. Like, there's some really bad stuff going on. Uh, we thought the profanity was the worst part about Xbox Live, but uh, turns out, no. Uh, um, playing Uno is more dangerous. I don't know how to process that. Like, that, uh, again, you could have given me a hundred guesses, and I would never have been able to tell where that story was going. Uno. Yeah, Uno. Isn't it just depressing? It's a really fun game, too, actually, on Live. It was surprisingly fun, but uh, it's really sad. Oh. So that was a that was a fun one for us. <laughs> well, what about the rise and fall of Infinity Ward? Oh man, yeah, this is a doozy. So Infinity Ward, so Infinity Ward was born out of EA actually because the two guys who formed Infinity Ward and built Call of Duty, like they invented and made Call of Duty, uh, two guys named Jason and Vince. They were working on the Medal of Honor team at EA and they thought they had some great ideas on how they could improve Medal of Honor, and EA was not interested in their feedback. And so they eventually got frustrated and made their own studio, Infinity Ward, to make their own, basically their own Medal of Honor, which they called Call of Duty. And um, as everyone knows, they built that into a, a, the, you know, maybe the biggest franchise ever. I mean, it was just an absolute monster, right? And they they were driven by burying Medal of Honor. Like, they, they, they outright said... We were driven by spite. Like, we wanted to just annihilate those guys and build the better game that we told them we could make. Mission accomplished. Um, mission accomplished, absolutely. They, you know, they launched the first Call of Duty, and it was a big hit. And then Call of Duty 2 was our launch title for Xbox 360, which we did not see coming as, as big a hit as it was. Like, we really thought um, the big hit title that would come out of launch for Xbox 360 would be Perfect Dark Zero. Um, being made by Rare, who we had re recently acquired at Microsoft. And so we had put all of our, kind of all of our eggs into that basket, but out of nowhere, not really out of nowhere, but like much to our shock, Call of Duty 2 was just an absolute masterpiece of a game, both single player and multiplayer, just crushed it. Um, and the sales backed it up, and it solidified that as the console multiplayer uh, FPS game to have. And so Infinity Ward, which is a studio that Big Jason and Vince built to make Call of Duty, was just on top of the world. I mean, they they were absolutely crushing it. And after that game launched, Activision was obviously thrilled. I mean, they suddenly had the biggest franchise on their hands that they could imagine. And so they had Activision came up with this great idea, which was we need to ship another Call of Duty next year. Which 
you know, a Call of Duty game takes easily two to three years to make. And so Infinity Ward said, no way. Like, we're not going to do that because if we were to do that, it would be a subpar game and we're not willing to sacrifice um, our franchise in the name of just making Activision more dollars. Like, we want to make another high-quality product. We want to, you know, we don't want to water down the franchise. So Activision said, well, fine. We've got a better idea then. We're going to hand all of your source code and assets over to another studio, Treyarch, and we're going to have them make another Call of Duty to be released in one year. So understandably, this made the guys at Infinity Ward absolutely furious. Like, they they were so upset that Activision was basically taking their franchise and trying to just milk that cash cow rather than nurture the franchise like uh, like Infinity Ward obviously would want to. So um, before long, Treyarch, who had previously been making like, you know, snowboarding games and stuff like that, suddenly they're making a Call of Duty game. And they've got the source code and they've got the assets, uh, but they don't really know the engine and they don't really know the game at the level that Infinity Ward does. And so they'd reach out to Infinity Ward asking for help and Infinity Ward would say, no, we're not going to help you because we don't want anything to do with this. We don't want the product to ever ship. We don't want anything to do with you guys because you're just ruining our franchise. And so this bitterment really started to build between Infinity Ward and Activision and somewhat between Infinity Ward and Treyarch as well. Um, and, and I think somewhat understandably. And so over time, the relationship between Activision and Infinity Ward really, really turned sour. The guys who ran Infinity Ward had, you know, obviously pretty decently sized egos. They were they were genuinely creative geniuses, and they, you know, they really understood how to build the franchise, how to make a great game, how to market the game. They were just soup to nuts. They really, really got it, and they felt like the people at Activision didn't respect that and didn't know how to manage their franchise. And so they fought each other tooth and nail over everything from what marketing assets would appear in advertisements to the words used. Activision would sometimes do things like talk to the press about features of the game and when those features might be coming without talking to Infinity Ward first. And oh so it would boy. cause all kinds of rifts between them. Um, and by the time by the time they were developing in uh, Modern Warfare 2, Infinity Ward was sort of in the position where they were saying to Activision, basically... You're not allowed in our studio. Even though Activision technically owned the studio, they were saying, you're not welcome here. We're not going to show you anything. Um, we're not going to tell you anything about the game. I mean, it was as, it was as um, like vitriolic as you can imagine a relationship being between a publisher and a studio. And mind you, Infinity Ward's owned by Activision. Around the time, just before E3, before Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare 2 was going to be unveiled at E3, um, I was down visiting the studio at Infinity Ward. And they invited me to see the game. And this is something I never asked developers to do because it's kind of, you don't really want to walk into a studio and say, be like, hey, can you show me your game? Because they might not be prepared to do that. They might not want to show it to you. And you're also sort of, you know, you're, you're, it's not really my place to come in and say, you owe me to, you know, a view into your game. They don't owe me that. I'm there to help them make their game and make it as good as I could possibly make it on Xbox. It's not my place to be like, hey, show me your game. So, but they offered and I was like, great. Yeah, I would love to see the game and play it. So they let me, they brought me into their little uh, theater and I got to play the game. And of course it was amazing. They showed me everything they were going to show at E3 and so on. Well, I got back, when I got back to uh, Xbox headquarters after that, um, I was suddenly being questioned by my senior management because they were like, Hey, did you get to see Call of Duty? And I was like, yeah, the Infinity Ward guys showed it to me. And they're like, well, we got a really mad call from the executives at Activision because they haven't seen the game. 
And I was like, oh, <laughs> ah. And they're really mad that Infinity Ward thought it would be okay to show it to Xbox before the people at Activision get to see it. Well, as it turns out, you know, and I don't know this to be factual, but I believe essentially I was sort of a pawn in the game of let's stick it to Activision because they were more than happy to show Activision that they were willing to show it to Xbox and not them, sort of as an FU to Activision. It's, that's what I'm assuming was the case. I don't know that to be true, but I'm pretty sure that was the case. Um, and so anyway, the game ships. It's obviously a gigantic hit. Um, the, the guys at Infinity Ward had pretty nice royalty deals, especially Jason and Vince. And so when it came time a few months later after the game shipped for the royalty checks to be cut, um, and I think Jason and, and Vince were looking at, I, I don't really know, but it might be 20 or $50 million in royalty checks each. Instead, uh, Bobby Kotick, who ran and ran Activision, invited them over to a, for a meeting at the Activision headquarters, and he just fired them both. Huh. And mind you, Bobby Kotick, he's, a, he's the CTO of a, you know, a publicly traded huge company that's making billions of dollars a year, and he did not like being disrespected by these two. And so I think he just said, you know what, instead of paying you guys, we're just going to fire you instead. So he fired them both. He said, um, as of right now, you are locked out of Infinity Ward. You cannot return to the studio. Um, and you are no longer Activision employees, and you're not being paid. So um, they're pretty shell-shocked at this point, like, oh, my God. Um, like, they essentially were Call of Duty, these two guys, and they just they couldn't believe they were being fired. Um, so they went home. Bobby Kotick got, in, got into his limo, and he drove over to uh, Infinity Ward, which is in, you know, also in L.A., and you know, he brought some of his executive staff with him, and he had a big meeting uh, with all the employees at, at uh, Infinity Ward. And he said, you know, hey, listen, um, Jason and Vince are gone. Um, you guys are all still getting your royalty checks because they're all getting their royalty checks at this time also. And and even the, like, you know, the rank and file developers and at, at Infinity Ward, these guys are getting million dollar royalty checks. This is huge amounts of money on the line for them. Um, it's not the 20 or 50 million, but it's a it's million dollars for, you know, maybe on average or maybe half a million on average for these guys. And they said, don't worry, you're still getting your royalty checks, but Jason and Vince are gone. And we're going to figure out what we're going to do for studio leadership in you know, the next few weeks. We'll figure that out. Well, the guys in the studio were incredibly loyal to Jason and Vince. They loved them. They were really proud to have worked at that studio and built Call of Duty. They recognized the genius of those two, and they were genius. Um, and so about half of them just literally got up in the middle of that meeting and walked out and said, we're quitting. Bye. We weren't going to have it. And literally not knowing if they were going to get their royalty checks or not. They were leaving half a million, million dollars on the table. Just like, screw you guys, we're not having any part of this. Um, so Bobby Kotick, they got in, you know, he, he left, got in his limo, drove back to back to headquarters. Then one of his VPs got in front of this, this group of people and said, okay, so you guys aren't getting your royalty checks. Um, if you want your royalty checks, we're going to handcuff you to the studio for two years. We're going to, we'll pay you your royalties, but you're going to get them in two years instead of right now. And so probably another good chunk of people got up and walked out at that point. Um, but the remaining people, um, were now sort of obligated to stay for two years if they wanted their money. Um, and as you can imagine, this did not bode well for the overall health of the studio, um, for the, the quality of the employees, uh, the morale, uh, it was absolutely devastating uh, to the Call of Duty studio. Um, what Jason and Vince did, um, and I think this, you know, most people probably know this if they followed the franchise, is they went and started Respawn. 
Um, and they named it Respawn because they felt like they were respawning after being killed at, at Activision. Uh, and they went on to build uh, Titanfall. And they hired everybody that left Infinity War. They just basically took the majority of that team with them, um, including you know most of the real true brains and talent of the studio. Not all of it. Like some of the really great guys stayed behind. Um, but most of the key figures, in my opinion, went with them to go build Respawn and Titanfall. And obviously, this all ended up in court. Activision settled out of court. Everybody got paid. There's rumors that Jason and Vince got as much as $200 million because I think they didn't just sue for their uh, their royalty checks, but I think they sued for ownership of the IP as well. Like I think they went in and said, also, we own Call of Duty as an intellectual property, and so if you want to ship any further Activision titles named Call of Duty without paying us royalties on those products, you need to buy out our stake in the intellectual property as well. So it's rumored, and I honestly do not know, and Jason and Vince do not talk about it, but it was rumored that it was upwards of $200 million that these guys got out of that deal. Um, so that's the, uh, you know, that's kind of the long story of what the rise and fall of Infinity Ward and the rise of Respawn, which is an absolutely great studio. The guys at Respawn are phenomenal. Yeah, they do a lot of great things. Uh, Jedi Fallen Order was a quality game. I played some Apex Legends. Like, they really yep. pump out some quality titles. They really do. And the talent there is just unquestionably top, top notch. Great guys. That's awesome. Do you want to tell us a little bit about bringing Diablo onto the console before we wrap up? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's not a super short story, but I'll try and keep it. I'll condense it down to the good stuff. Uh, so this is, um, let's see, this is probably 2006, 2007. 360 had launched just a little bit before then. And at Xbox, we had hired a new guy to run all of Xbox, Don Matrick, coming out of Electronic Arts. Um, and Don was a huge, huge fan of World of Warcraft. Every night when he went home from work, he played World of Warcraft with his clan and just deeply, deeply into it. And by the way, I don't know that this story is not known anywhere, really. This is a bit of a, a really deep inside story. So um, hopefully nobody's heard this. The um, He came to my team because we owned all the developer relations. Like we owned the relationships both technically and just relationship-wise with all the development studios. He came to my team and said, um, I want you guys to get World of Warcraft on Xbox 360. And which and I and I owned the relationship with Activision and Activision had just bought Blizzard. And so suddenly and Blizzard was a PC studio. So like I really didn't know them at all. I didn't really have contacts there, didn't know them. But now suddenly it was like, let's go see if we can make this happen. So uh, a bunch of us uh, made our way down, you know, made some contacts at, at the studio um, we flew down. We brought just like a pallet load of goodies for them. Consoles, games, Xbox Live subscriptions, T-shirts, like you name it. Like we want to just paper these guys with um, everything Xbox you could imagine and get them kind of excited about um, making games on Xbox potentially. Um, and it was also like I was a huge World of Warcraft fan. So like just going in and getting to meet that team was really, really awesome. And it turns out Great guys. I mean, like just a wonderful group of people, super friendly, easy to work with, um, super just brilliant designers, obviously. And it was really a, a fun meeting. But like coming out of it, it was becoming really, really obvious that there were major, major business and technical hurdles to get over about. I mean, really at the core, like simple things like who owns the customer because they had Battle.net. And so all the customers signed in a Battle.net. The Battle.net had a friends list. It had a billing system. It had invites and joins. It had everything Xbox Live had. 
and they didn't want to cede their friend list to us. Like if you pre- if you're playing World of Warcraft hypothetically on a console and you press the button to invite a friend, whose friends list do you get? Do you get your Battle.net friends? Are we going to try and federate the two friends list together? Like just simple things like that would become an absolute nightmare because neither team wanted to give up control of who owned that community. Like which community were you truly engaging with when you played World of Warcraft? And if you asked Blizzard, they'd say, well, you're engaging with our community. And if you asked Xbox, you'd say, no, you're engaging with our community. And who owned the billing? Who like, and then from just, a, and then from a game design standpoint, like how do you make a game design for console and mouse at this level work with a game controller? And now you have voice chat being playing a much bigger role. And can you make the game balance work between a controller and a, and a keyboard and mouse and like just real technical nightmares that were like really not going to get solved. And like this became apparent to me pretty quickly working with that team um, that like to make this happen would cost maybe a billion dollars. I mean, like some outrageous amount of money and like the amount of risk involved and the risk to their product, because if it came out on console and it wasn't a Blizzard quality product, which honestly it probably wouldn't be, um, just would probably never ship or cause legal nightmares. Like it just wasn't going to happen. Like months down this road, it became apparent, like just not going to happen, guys. But in my mind, I'm thinking, but Blizzard does have a property that is absolutely built for consoles, and that property is Diablo. And so somewhere along the line, maybe two or three months into this, um, we were down bliz- visiting Blizzard, and I made a request to meet with the with the Diablo team because, A, I just wanted to meet them because it's a great game, but I really wanted to get them inv- interested in making a console game and see if it was something they were already thinking about too. So I met with the, their main product uh, lead, a guy named Ray Gresco, Another great guy. Like everyone, everyone I met at Blizzard ever, including the guy who ran Blizzard at the time, wonderful people. Like the most genuine, non-ego, just super nice, really driven towards making great games, just great people. So Ray and I talk, and he's like, you know, I agree. It really is, it really would fit as a console game, Diablo. And he said, in fact, we've actually taken some PCs and hooked them up to big, you know, big flat screen TVs. We've hooked, we've kind of hooked up a controller and just doing a little bit of work, kind of try to see if it worked as a controller and couch kind of game. And we think it kind of does. And I said, awesome. Let me go back to, let me go back to Xbox and see what we can do to make this maybe start down this path. Uh, I went to my management and I said, look, I would like to gift like for free, send the Diablo team three Xbox development kits. And this is something we never, ever, ever do. It's a $10,000 per kit price to get an Xbox development kit. Wow. Um, And we never give them away for free, like ever. Because it comes with a bunch of stuff. You're getting support. You're getting a whole bunch of other things. It costs us a lot of money to support these kits. Um, And so they said, yeah, for for Blizzard, yeah, we'll do that. So we sent them three free development kits. Um, They got them. Ray called me and said, hey, thanks for sending us the kits. This is really cool. I'm going to see if I can have some people look at it. We're really busy with other stuff trying to get the game made. But in the coming months, you know, we'll try and get something going on. it. Well, he called me like three weeks later and he says, we've got the game running on Xbox. And I was shocked and amazed because they'd never made a console game. I expected them to be inundating me with questions like, hey, how do we render a triangle on an Xbox? (laughs) You know, not something necessarily that simple, but like, how do we develop on a console? Like, we don't know what we're doing. Like, I thought they'd have a million questions. They did it with zero questions. Um, They're just that good. And I, you know, I remember saying to Ray, like, how the hell did you guys do this? How did you do it without having to ask any questions on just technically how to make it work? And he goes, we're really good. 
<laughs> I was like, you are really good. That's really impressive. I don't know if any other studio could have done that. Um, so he got it running and he said, the game's great. Like we, we really think this is a great experience and we want to uh, go deep on this. And I was like, that's wonderful. But suddenly we're wrapped into the same question about who owns the customer? What happens when you press the guide button? Whose, whose friends list are you getting? And this bogged down for a couple of months and it ended up basically turning into a stalemate. Like we weren't going to yield and they weren't going to yield. And it really looked like it looked Tom like this wasn't going to happen. Like it was really depressing because it was the right thing for the game, but we just couldn't come to any terms where from a business or experience for the customer standpoint, either side was going to be happy. Uh, and it was really sad to see that that was going to die. And so like a month passed, I was I remember this really well. I was home. I was in my backyard um, after work. It was like 7 p.m. at night. And I got a call, and it was Ray calling my phone. And I was like, I wonder why he's calling me, <laughs> right? I answered the phone, and he's like, he's like, hey, Sam, I'm just calling you because um, I wanted you to know it's getting real. And I was like, what do you mean, Ray? And I was hoping he was going to say what he said. He goes, we're just going to do it. Like, we're just going to give up. It's, we're going to let you guys own the experience and the friends list and everything else. We're just going to make it an Xbox 360 game. And I was like, well, when you say Xbox 360 game, are you saying you're not going to make it for PlayStation or anyone else? Which would be magic, you know, music to our ears, right? And he goes, yeah, you know, we're all PC guys. And like developing for an Xbox, it's just, it's running Windows. It's running DirectX. Like, it's easy for us to port. Like, we've already got it running. Um, we don't want to deal with that PlayStation, th you know, 3 stuff. Like, we don't know how that system works. We don't know the OS. And I was like, oh, my God. This is the biggest win of wins. Of course, they ended up recanting later and making it for PS3 anyway. Um, but that's that was really how it got started. He, he asked for my help, like hiring people. He's like, we need to now spin up a whole console team that really understands console. Um, so I helped him get, get some people from the industry. I ended up coming down there and working with them really closely for months. Um, and it was just it's really one of the highlights of my career was playing that role in getting Diablo onto console and having it be such a great game. I just love it. That's awesome. It is my wife's favorite video game. Like we have played many hours of Diablo three together on the couch. That's fantastic. And the inventory probably makes you guys a little bit crazy, right? Like that's the one part that's difficult. Yeah. I mean, it's not perfect, but overall it's just such a fun game and such a great way for us to rip through some monsters together. We love it. It is great. Um, and one other piece I'll throw into there is um, I, I had a really close friend that I've been playing games with since middle school and we played a ton of Diablo together um, sadly, he got cancer and died um, shortly after Diablo came out. Mm. And I was meeting with one of my contacts on the team. Ray had actually moved on to another team, but the person who replaced him, uh, I was meeting with with her at E3 one year, and I'd uh, I'd mentioned this to her, and he had recently passed, and I was actually tearing up a little bit because he was a, a dear friend of mine. And she called me a couple months later, and she said, "Hey, would it be okay if we put your friend in the game?" And I was like, "Oh my God, really?" And she's like, yeah, we would like to honor your friend by putting him in the game in some way. Like, I, I don't know what we would do, but like, we want to do something to honor him in the game. And I thought, wow, that's like the most amazing gesture ever. That would be amazing. And he was a huge Diablo fan. And we played, you know, a million hours of Diablo together. And she goes, let me put it to my game designers and see what they come up with. And I thought, OK, they're going to come up with like a weapon that's named after my friend Mike or, you know, something like that. We came back and they said what we want to do. And I sent her a little bio about Mike. And so um, they came back and they said, what we want to do is we want to put a group of monsters in the game named after Mike, 
and also named after me and also named after Mike's brother, Leslie. And we're going to have them spawn as a, as a trio um, in the game. And they'll be named after you three. And um, it'll be our tribute to you and your friend and his brother, who are all, you know, all three of us big gamers in Diablo. Um, and so they did. And it's in the game. If you go into the Fields of Misery, there's like a 50%-ish like a chance that you'll run into monsters named Charchian, Branham, and uh, Lilas was named after his brother, Leslie. Because they didn't think they could put Leslie into Diablo. <laughs> it wasn't quite a name fitting for Diablo. But uh, Lilas, Branham, and Charchian will spawn together as an elite mob uh, in Diablo. Oh, that is awesome. I'm going to have to jump back in after this interview. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it was it, like I literally teared up when I saw it for the first time. What an amazing tribute. And they didn't do any publicity or anything around it because I think they kind of just threw it in there on the sly a little bit and didn't want to make this into something they do for people. But so you have to keep it quiet. But um, that was a uh, that was like maybe the most heartfelt thing anyone's ever done for me ever. Perhaps it was just an amazing gesture by great, like I said, great people at Blizzard. That's awesome. Well, Sam, I've enjoyed chatting with you so much today. This has been great. Thank you so much for joining us on Outside is Overrated. Anything else you want to get off your chest before we sign off? No, but thanks a lot, Tom. And if you ever want more stories, I've got more, man. I could go for hours. <laughs> Crazy industry stories. But um, if there's more demand, you let me know and we'll do it again. Absolutely. We would love to. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Outside is Overrated. Next month, Joey and I will be back to talk about board games. There are a lot of new projects coming out, and I think Bernsey has pre-ordered them all on Kickstarter. Thank you again for listening. You can follow us on social at ThompsonLogicOIO, at HobbyBoxBurns, and at Dr. Underscore Helene. We'll talk to you next month. Stay inside, kids. Tom just coughed. Away from the mic. That is good podcasting. He's a really good host. At, at Hobby Box Buy Earns? Is that like because I, I apparently pre-ordered all of the board games? Oh, did, did I miss it? <laughs>